I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, hitting the third rail today in Future Quake Bionic. And why is that, Mr. Bionic? It's because we have uh, a second installment from a great guest. Uh, his name is... Uh, Andrew Hoffman. Stole my thunder. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Didn't know if you were looking for the word. Uh, Andrew Hoffman, who's the author of The New World Order and the Eugenics War, A Christian Perspective. Mm-hmm. And he was such a great guest and such a great book with so much material that we're doing something that we really haven't done before in no. a long time, yeah. I can remember, is have a second installment of an interview mm-hmm. Very with a guest. Yeah. We usually try to compact it all into our you know, 90-minute, mm-hmm. you know, four-day deal. Yep. And uh, we had so much material that we have enough to cover a second week with Mr. Hoffman. And we're talking about a rediscovered biblical worldview of the world's power structures and their satanic techniques and agenda. Yeah. Well, last week I felt like we did a bunch of stuff where everybody could generally sort of agree, and it really, I think, laid the groundwork for what the, all the heavy information that he's going to be laying on us uh, this week. You know? Right. I, I, and I'll tell you, man, I agree with most everything he said. There's so many subject areas, and it's pretty much all of the years of Future Quake compacted into two weeks of shows, mm-hmm. and probably a good show if somebody wanted to sort of stick their toe in the water and find out what Future Quake's about. We hit most of the major issues in these mm-hmm. two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, with no further ado, we need to bring in Brother Andrew to come back in, uh, the author of The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars, A Christian Perspective, and then we'll be right back to talk about this segment here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Round two, going the distance, bionics. All right, that's yeah, good. That's good. Bit. Well, this is a unique situation for us, something we don't do very often. Yes, true. We have come back for round two, as you say, mm-hmm. uh, part two of our interview with our new friend, Andrew Hoffman. Uh, and we had a fantastic show last week with him, but there was so much material there we didn't get to cover it all. And it's about his his new book, The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars, A Christian Perspective. And we've been talking about a rediscovered biblical worldview of the world's power structures and their satanic techniques and agenda. That was the longest title I could come up with. Yeah, I know. Sort of filled a page. So that to, was that to was issue that. the press releases on the you know the little places I do. I had to, I had to structure right? it. Well, the most amazing thing about this is that uh, Brother Andrew was even willing to come back for part two of this. Yeah, I know. Um, it must be a real slow week for you, Andrew, to be willing to come back for a second time in a, in a second week on Future Quake. It's like like getting hazed, you know? It's like, yeah. Haze well, me again? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. So. Yeah. Well, you know, you get it out of your system at least. Uh, we didn't want you to have time to uh, change your identity and move on. We thought we'd better get you a second time while we could because your book is so chock full of great information that there was no way that we could cover all that I thought our Futurians needed to know. And believe me, we're still only scratching the surface. They need to get the book uh, and not only read it themselves, but this is a classic kind of book that they need to get to go give to family members, to give to people at the church they know. Uh, it's it's uh, it's not a you know a deep 
like 500, 600 page book. It's something that you can get through reasonably well. It's well written, so it's easy to read. But it's just got some heavy duty stuff to think about. Now, if people aren't used to some of your conjectures in your book, they may stop on a page and have to mull it over for a while or set the book down and think about it. Mm-hmm. But it's a but it's a great read, and I want to pick right up where we left off last week uh, in some of the subject matter of your book that we were talking about. You say in your book, and uh, this is a quote from you, the American military industrial and intelligence complex does not work to defend the freedom and security of the American people. It works for Wall Street and for the New World Order banking cartel. Can you explain that to justify that position? Um, sure. Well, I, I guess the, the simplest way would be to ask um, what benefits have you seen from the war in Afghanistan or the war in Iraq? Um, I don't know, unless you guys are in a different situation than me, uh, the, the average person doesn't see any benefits, really. Um, but if you were a board member of Halliburton or uh, maybe the Rand Corporation, you would see uh, you would have seen lots of benefits. You would have seen your bank account grow. Um, you would have seen your stock price increase. And uh, if you were a, a Wall Street bank, you would have had uh, drug money flowing in the back door and been able to loan it out 30 times what you brought in and and made billions of dollars that way. So it's uh, kind of the old Latin phrase, "qui bono," who who benefits from it, and mm-hmm. the the people, you know, the the soldiers going over there risking their lives, they don't benefit from it, and the people mm-hmm. back here, um, you know, worrying about them and and paying for it, uh, we don't benefit. But if you're if you're someone on, on Wall Street. Um, or in, in banking, you are benefiting. Well, you almost sound like Marine General Smedley Butler, who said war is a racket. Uh, uh, that, that is one of the, the books that I, I read um, as part of my research. It, it's a, definitely a, a good read from someone who was on the inside and um, came out talking about war kind of the same way I am right now. So. Well, and he led many of those wars. He was the leading figure of the expeditionary wars mm-hmm. in the early part of the 20th century, and uh, he reflected back on it and realized that it was big business that was pulling the strings, and people that made money, as you said, from, from uh, military activities that were really calling the shots. It was interesting. You know, one of, the, one of my favorite quotes, and there are a lot of quotes from Smedley Butler that are great, but one of them yeah. he said that was, uh, you know, uh, I was basically like Al Capone for these big these big corporations, uh, and in fact maybe I could even teach Al Capone a thing or two because whereas he was only able to con- control three boroughs, I was able to control three continents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. this is a painful information, much like a lot of your book for your traditional rank and file American mm-hmm. evangelical, who is very very patriotic, who supports the warfighter and the warrior. Um, who glorifies uh, our conquest uh, and who sees us as a force for good, that uh, we just bless everybody in the world that we encounter with our activities around the world. First of all, we had to fight off the Red Menace to save the world for democracy, and now we're spreading it from our new enemy du jour, which is what they call Islamofascism. And uh, this is is very difficult for Christians to accept that, that maybe they could have been hoodwinked a little bit. Uh, it's it's even harder for Christians who feel like 
you know, we have a special connection to God and hearing and wisdom and things that things like this could happen to us. But I would suggest for our newer listeners that they go back and listen to a show that we did focused on the book War on the Racket. It was a few months ago we did. Uh, Dennis Cuddy talked about all of the, quote, good wars of America and how we can see there were strings pulled. Um, we have even some people who you would really admire coming up very soon with books uh, that are well admired on the right that admit that FDR and Churchill knew clearly about Pearl Harbor before it happened wow. uh, and created a scenario to purposely lead us into war. So those, these things that we, we rely upon and put so much glory you know, in this patriotic militaristic activity, it becomes smoke and mirrors when you study it to a greater degree. And, and that's what I took what you said. And this relates to another quote in your book. There's a lot of great quotes in your book and how you write things. There's a, there's, I'm sorry? I, said, I just said thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, and I like how you have everything so, so well footnoted. You know? Yeah. I'll, occasionally I'll read something and I'll go, no, they didn't really say that. And whereas your book, it's like, and then they said, blah, 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 blah. And it's totally amazing. And then it's, you know, the right. little number three. I can go well, and look it up for myself. You know, I, I figured I, I needed to do that. I've got no name recognition or anything. So, uh, you know, people aren't going to believe me just because I, I claimed something. So I tried to make it obvious where I'm getting the information from and if, uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you want to dig in deeper and see if that if I'm taking things out of context or whatever, you can you can look it up and check it. Well, the more yeah. bold your pronouncements, the more there's a higher standard held for you to justify what you say. Uh, if you're part of the establishment media, people no, nobody ever checks yeah, to see whether they're telling the truth. Show up and just give your person you know personal but, opinion, but, and that's good. Right, but we have a higher standard that we have to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's another quote. I think you quoted this from somebody else. This is one that really people need to meditate on. You said the war is poor people fighting poor people at the expense of the middle class people for the benefit of rich people. Can, can you elaborate on, on why you think that's a valid premise for war? Um, I, I think, um, well, I mean, there's, it's an overgeneralization uh, to a certain extent, but I think, you know, for the most part, especially foot soldiers, infantry, um, it's, it's usually guys going in there that, uh, that don't have, they don't feel like they have a lot of other options. Right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, middle class people are the ones who, who pay the taxes but don't see any of the benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, may, may serve as officers and things in the military. And then, in general, it's just a, a few rich people. It's not rich people in general, but a, a few well-placed rich people that really get the benefit from from the wars, the, the war profiteers. Mm-hmm. And it, they tend to be the same people that control the media and are good at convincing us that this war is... Um, you know, the moral thing to do or it's a, a necessary thing to do or we're all going to, you know, be ruled by, I don't know, Islamo-fascists or whatever the the enemy du jour is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So well, I think- a- a- Andrew, I'm convinced um, now when I hear about somebody going to war with whoever it is, that it's hard for me to find any exceptions to the fact that somebody's up to something Yeah. when, when this comes up. And I, I work for the Defense Department developing things to protect troops. 
for 16, actually it's probably been over 20 years, including, um, you know, in a support role for me now. And you know, I want to protect our fellow citizens. But I have to admit that this whole thing is part of a, a bigger racket. And I've had an about face in my view. And I think a lot of our listeners have emailed us. The light bulbs are starting to come on there too. Uh, that, that we've been had with a lot of this kind of stuff. And we've been had pretty easy. And if you go back and look at history, you can see whether it was the Gulf of Tonkin. And now easily people believe something that turned out to be a total fabrication. And, you know, we had 50,000 of our men leave, leave their blood on, on the battlefield there. And, and you know, uh, close to a million people that have significantly injured, either physically or mentally, you know, from that war. And then you've got the Lusitania and how our government sacrificed our lives of our fellow citizens to get us into the World War One. And uh, Pearl Harbor, too, you look the same way, you see the same mm-hmm. thing. And every time, there were money to be made. And a lot of the same people, whether it's the DuPonts, whether the Bush family, Prescott Bush, even uh, uh, Joe Kennedy, all these other people made big money. Uh, it's not a left or right kind of thing. Um, it's the people who are the elites that are in charge. And when you hear war, well, we got to go to war for this or that or whatever, um, I think you would agree with me now, you immediately think something's up some somebody wants to accelerate the plan of centralizing power and wealth into the hands of the few and war is one of their most efficient means by which to do it and i I, when you consider the fact i think that the u.s spends more money on defense than than the next 15 closest nations combined um you know it's fairly obvious that we're no one's close to us militarily so they needed to come up with the, the terrorist threat because um, there was no country out there that could, mm-hmm. could really justify the fear the way the Soviet Union, you know, they were able to play that up. So. Uh-oh, now you're scaring me, Andrew. Could you actually be saying that this whole t- terrorism threat could be a little bit of a ruse that's been foisted on the American people? Well, you know, I, w- I would have an easier time believing that it's a that they're being honest about it if they just came out and said, um, you know, we're going to do what we can. We're going to make sure that, that no one comes across any of our borders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to mind our own business so we don't give them any excuses, you know. Then then I would believe it, but uh, to say, you know, we'll spend all this money fighting the terrorists before they can get to us, it, it, the logic doesn't really make sense. It, it assumes that you know, there's 10,000 people out there that are born terrorists, raised terrorists, and if you kill them, you win. Um, mm-hmm. it's ignoring the the fact that if you blow up a wedding and you kill one terrorist and you kill 30 other people, um, you've probably created 100 new terrorists. You know, mm-hmm. you've, you've created, and um, really, it's just people who are mad at you because you killed someone in their family. Which, if it, if that were being done here, people would tend to have the same reactions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think when we take people and we take children and 90-year-old men and torture them down in Guantanamo Bay, do you think that helps stop terrorism or do you think it helps make more terrorists? Well, and then <laughs> I, the, the logic that we can't release the pictures because that would make them mad at us and cause more terror. Well, maybe we shouldn't torture them in the first place. That, uh-huh. that, Well, what it says is if we can't release the pictures, then it is so absolutely horrible that no one could stand if they saw what we just did. That's the message that goes out with that. Uh, If I understood you correctly on your supposition, is that the fact that 
we believe that we have to basically undress every person when they get on an airplane, uh, go through all of these wiretaps, all these other kind of things to the Patriot Act, because there is such an imminent threat uh, of terrorists, large numbers of terrorists that want to take out many of us that are all mixed up with us in the population that we have no choice, that at the same time, the government refuses to even monitor our borders right. and to watch who comes across. That is a complete contradiction that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever for us to buy this argument they're giving to us. Exactly. That's a good way to, to sum it up. Either they're the most incompetent people that have ever been heard in the world, which doesn't say much for the rest of us who vote them in, yeah. or, or the, if anything, they just know that we're so slow-witted that they can do something that's a blatant contradiction and uh, that they give us the slogans we want so we don't put simple two and two together, at least not a plurality of people. Yeah, and uh, I heard Peter Schiff comment one time, on uh, Ben Bernanke, and someone asked if he thought that Bernanke was uh, just stupid or if he was lying to people. And uh, Peter Schiff said, well, he, he had a 1590 on his SAT, so I think, <laughs> I think we can cross out the, the just stupid part. So. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, these terrible terrorist things that happen in our own country, we've talked about this on the show, we find out almost every single time it was a sting operation that was led by the FBI. The yeah. FBI started it. They recruited some people in the madrasas. They were the ones who got everything together. Uh, sure. And as well, soon as they order the stuff, then they call in the press. Well, and it's always at a latest, time when they need money for the war. Even just this latest thing during Christmas, you know, there was that gentleman, Kurt Haskell, and his wife that said that right. during the, what do they call it, the Christmas Day or the, mm -hmm. the underwear bomber, whatever right. you call them, they said they saw somebody in a suit who looked like a government official checked the guy onto an airplane, walking him through security, and the media just lambasted him for about a mm -hmm. month and a half, and then it came out, oh, look, that's exactly what happened. Well, the government told him he was wrong, and the government's changed their story so many times and finally admitted that was a government agent, and that they were purposely letting him on the airplane. Mm -hmm. They were letting him on the airplane because they just sort of wanted to monitor him and see what he was doing. Yeah. Um, I want to move on because we got a lot of okay. material to cover. It's a different topic. You have a, at least one chapter dedicated to uh, science and scientists and government influence in science. And this is, a, this is a hard one, bitter pill for me to swallow as a scientist myself and one who has no problem with the scientific method at all and the pursuit of truth and science for it. However, I wish that's how it really was, that we had an open... Uh, free study of scientists that could just look to see where the answers took them. But you make a conjecture that government in some ways dictates the findings of science. Can you explain some examples of how they do that? I think um, you've seen kind of a, a transition in science where uh, maybe in the 19th century it was just someone by themselves doing experiments, you know, trying you know, with different chemicals or... Mm -hmm. Uh, and things, but now science in some ways has advanced or the technique or the technology of science has advanced where uh, it's fairly difficult for someone to do their own individual research. They need funding um, and that funding usually comes from either government or um, big corporations and there's that money usually if not always comes with strings attached and people um find out pretty quickly, if, if you're a scientist, that um, 
you know, if if you're going to get keep getting grants to do research, you need to discover things that uh, can help someone turn a profit or can help someone um, help the government pass new laws or reinforce an agenda that they want to get it through. And the the biggest example of this is the, the global warming uh, propaganda that that's been out there because the, the governments and secret societies have seen this as a means uh, to get control, to tax things, to set up a, a world government structure, and um, all in the name of saving the earth and being green and cutting the deadly carbon dioxide. Um, you know, Bill Gates says he wants it down to zero. I don't know how he he plans to breathe after his carbon dioxide emissions are down mm-hmm. to zero, but um, the scientists then find out well, if I stick global warming into my research proposal, I get money, and if I don't, I don't get money. So mm-hmm. um, the, the scientists that maybe are a little more uh, moral and hold to, to truth and higher ideals of what science is supposed to be uh, find themselves not getting funding, not getting published, and those that are willing to back up the agenda and, um, you know, the things that want to be said and try to find things that, that support the global warming hypothesis, then they find that the money keeps flowing in. So, mm-hmm. Well, if I could elaborate further on this, because uh, I was immersed in this environment, uh, excuse the pun, uh, and the, in the university environment right now, if you don't bring in these kind of research dollars, you don't eat. Um, your your salary, your livelihood is based upon bringing in research dollars. That's the main. It's not to teach. Teaching is is a minor thing, particularly if you're in a engineering or sciences or things like this. Your your research money and the prestige, the operating capital for the university, is the main purpose of why you're there. If you if you don't bring in X amount of dollars, you don't get tenure and you're fired. Hmm. Uh, I worked in a government agency research uh, laboratory for an agency. We did not have a salary budget. You had to go find research projects outside of your own organization to be able to survive. Or you, you and other people lost your job. A lot of people had depended upon you. So there's this strong temptation to have to play the game because there are people in Washington who got their way into these key jobs for all sorts of reasons, and they have certain pet technologies, whether it's the environment or things like this, that... They, they want to take the government money as their own sandbox to do with. It's interesting you mention that because I've been just recently reading up on the on the history of the Heart Project, and the you know mm-hmm. that's that, the big electronic thing up in Alaska. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nobody's entirely sure what it does, right? But there's some pretty strong correlation to some pretty evil mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, all of these climatologists got together in the 70s and said, "Well, we need this really cool plaything." Because that's what, you know, we need it for our research. Mm-hmm. But we can't sell it as a research tool. We have to weaponize it. Right. So they, there was there was a gentleman there that was particularly, uh, his name escapes me, but was particularly adept at playing this game and figured out how they could make this into a weapon or at least sell it as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And then went and then sold it as a weapon. And it went from, they went from talking to people about it and getting, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars maybe right. to literally people falling all over them to give them millions upon millions of dollars right. for that thing. If you put it in the defense area, yeah, your budgets go up astronomically. Yeah. But even in the environment, um, 
I, I worked with atmospheric scientists that came up with these models for global warming. I was there when they were giving their presentations. They readily admitted that they had a pinch of real data because it's such a complex system. Everything that affects what happens in the atmosphere around the world is infinitely complex. So they have a tiny bit of data, and the rest of it is fudge factors, which sends the data all from one direction or the other. So guess how they're going to adjust the knobs and the dials and the fudge factors is yeah. to suggest the answer that the funding agencies want to hear. And that's just plain and simple how it works, and I'm not calling out individuals, but I think these people understand uh, how this s- system works. And you keep doing that enough, you're going to get a promotion even if you you support the system as well. But I, I would say that this is not something that's just the fact of, of, you know, I mentioned atmospheric science, particularly the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, you're talking about the FDA. You're talking about the food we eat. Uh, you know, we've got guys like Donald Rumsfeld who worked for Searle, who was overseeing getting NutraSweet approved. We yeah. have all sorts of things that the public is not aware of. And we just think if the government looked over the shoulder something, that it must be safe because that's all they do is look after us. And then you find out that the government, lo and behold, is giving uh, 200 of the biggest, 200 of the biggest, uh, not talk shows, sitcoms. They've given them money to embed pro-government and pro-volunteerist mm-hmm. messages into right. their thing. And I don't mean just a little bit of money. They gave them like $200 billion to do this over a four-year period. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom fighting the military-industrial complex. And intelligence complex. Bionic. Okay. Hey, I got to add to your middle name. I know. It's a special cool. treat. It's cool. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to fill that form out. It's sort of like how God and Abraham, you know, they took on part of each other's name at their covenant. Uh-huh, yeah. Like Abram became Abraham, mm-hmm. you know, and then Jehovah took the vows on Mm. Sort of like that. That's where the similarities stop. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, Brother Andrew shared with us quite a bit of information in this segment. And I really love the quote because it is so true. War is poor people fighting poor people at the expense of the middle class people for the benefit of rich people. Mm-hmm. That really says it all. Yeah. Well, I, and you know, it's funny. You Oftentimes you'll talk with other people and they'll say, they'll say things like, oh, come on, a military industrial complex. What are you talking about? And uh, my response, well, my response should be, oftentimes, mm-hmm. is to laugh in derision, unfortunately. Most people I know don't even know what that means. Yeah, well, my response... They're like, what's on idle tonight? Yeah, well, the response should be, well, don't don't take my word for it. You know, Eisenhower said that. Right. You know, it's right. like in his, in his uh, uh, address as he was leaving, you mm-hmm. know, beware the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And many other... Uh, well-known political figures have said the same thing, too, mm-hmm. including that uh, McDonald fellow before uh, mm-hmm. he had an accident over the Korean airspace. Yeah, well, I don't know what they're going to do. That out. You know, Ron Paul is starting to say that stuff. I don't know what we're going to do. I know. I know. It's sort of scary yeah. days. You need to pray for your bold people in society who are calling things the way they are. And, that you know, we appreciate prayers for us yeah. and also for guys like Andrew Hoffman and many of our other guests that we have, too. Mm-hmm. But remember that we put our poor against each other to do the fighting for the rich. And uh, someone else who uh, we, we pit against you all is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. 
Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. We're All right, let's get out. Come by for tomorrow for the next segment. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Hasta la bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, fighting the New World Order through knowledge and experience and love. Bionic. And we've got very little time. We have a long segment today, our second installment of this week, with Andrew Hoffman, author of The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars, A Christian Perspective, talking about a rediscovered biblical worldview of the world's power structures and their satanic techniques and agenda. Uh, we think you'll really enjoy it. A lot of meat here, but we got to go, and we'll come back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. I want to go into something even deeper here, okay? Okay. Um, this is this gets into uh, more philosophical realms itself, okay? Uh, you try to look further into what causes this dichotomy here, and you talk about something called materialistic determinism. And I want you to try to explain for our, our layperson audience, if you can, quickly, how materialistic determinism, what it is, and how it removes the possibility or, of human or divine causality. In other words, things are regardless of what humans or what a god might do. Can you explain that just a little bit? I don't know if you can do it succinctly or sure. not, but give it a crack. Sure. The The idea is that um, everything is material. Everything can be explained uh, through the, the chemical reaction. Uh, the scientists that, that really hold to this are the ones who try to find genes for violent behavior or genes that cause you to be addicted to smoking um, because they they view the world through the lens of everything can be explained through uh, these chemical reactions or just one thing reacting on another and that causes something else. And it is uh, somewhat similar uh, to this kind of theological determinism that used to be fairly popular also. But... Um, it just it automatically assumes that there is nothing except matter, and you know there's n- not just no God, but no mind, no um, spirit, nothing that can't that can't be examined under a microscope. And what that leads to um, is kind of this belief that there there is no morality because we're where does morality come from if everything's just a chemical reaction? So mm-hmm. uh, the people that really hold to this feel that they are kind of beyond good and evil. They, they think that um, anything they do, whether it's, you know, a horrible vaccine that wipes out, you know, hundreds of people or thousands of people, they say, well, that's just part of the evolutionary process. We, we are uh, part of the system, and whatever we do is just, meant to be part of the system so it's a uh, kind of weird justification that they they claim that there is no human causality or humans causing things to happen and then they use that as an excuse to cause bad things to happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have any comments on that well that's really what if you go back 
to Darwin's original book, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't the subtitled, uh, uh, the most, you know, had the most favored races or something, the races right. among, yeah. I can't remember the exact words, but the whole point was, and really the point of the book in the latter pages, I guess, was to uh, really exemplify the eugenics and stuff and the idea that some races were superior. Uh, he definitely, cer- certainly supported that idea, and I guess even his his family, him and Huxley and Westwood, they all got together and made a pact that they were going only going to breed among these four families, and then within two generations, all their kids were messed up. Well, and, and they, they predicted, because they knew their theory was so perfect, that within, you know, four or five generations, they would have this race of supermen Superman, that would be yep. amazing athletes and geniuses and everything else. And like you said, you know, even Aldous Huxley was, he had all sorts of vision problems and physical problems because mm-hmm. of the fact that he was an, an inbred to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, you know, I... I can understand one part of the d- divine causality in the fact that they, for example, I, to me, I see it as they defi- they totally write off any spiritual component. If right. someone's mentally disturbed, that they would never see it as a spiritual issue. It's something wrong with the wiring, you know, right, or the yeah. chemistry. They just have bad genes, mm-hmm. to quote. Uh, or, go ahead. or that there's even evil. There's not such thing as evil. It's just people that have self-interest and are selfish and it arms other people when they have their own self-interest that come out and things like this. Can you explain further about how they're able to eliminate human causality? Well, they don't uh, eliminate it. They still act and they still cause things, but they just claim that um, their actions are just the result of you know, chemical reactions that we don't understand happening in their brains so that uh, they can't really be held responsible for it. It's just, in my opinion, it's a cop-out. For mm-hmm. um, It's a way of dealing with the fact that uh, whatever conscience they still have knows that they're doing things that are wrong. Mm-hmm. So they try to convince themselves that they aren't. You, you know, this is a topic, one of many, why I highly recommend people get your book. Mm-hmm. Because you take a very complex co- concept like this, and you explain it very succinctly in a few pages, and then you show how it influences the other parts in the rest of your book as well, too. I mean, it really is a soup-to-nuts kind of thing of the issues of what's wrong in society and the spiritual activities behind them. And it really almost is a sum total of the kind of future quake topics we've covered over the years in one under one cover. It's funny you mention that. I was reading it and going... It seems like I, this guy took all of our stuff and boiled it down into this really tight, succinct, mm-hmm. readable, intelligent 148 package. 148 pages. Yeah. Uh, In uh, fact, uh, I remember reading a couple paragraphs going, I wish I said that. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And another topic related to this, because people get their money's worth when they get this book, um, it is the fact of what, what kind of laws can you mention that have been used by bureaucrats to support the eugenic state? Uh, basically selective breeding, you know, a, a selective uh, DNA state uh, to allow it to take control. What are some of the laws that they've used in the past to help bring this to a reality? Um, well, there there were specific eugenics laws in the past. There were laws, I, for, I forget the exact number of states, but I think it was over 30 states in the U.S. had um, forced sterilization laws. In other words, the, the state... Or an agent, you know, an agent of the government could come to you and say, uh, "We think you're too dumb to have children. 
and they could have the police come and drag you in and sterilize you. Yeah, and that's this, a... This, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Tom. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, that's an underbelly that I really was glad to see that you, you sort of pierced. So few people know about that history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the 20s and 30s, they did that to hundreds of thousands of people in the West Virginia, Virginia, uh, poor, uh, and, you know... In, in my understanding, is the church was fine with that. Yeah. The church was, terrible. at the time, was okay with that. The, the church, there's uh, pictures I've seen of church um, bulletin boards advertising eugenics contests and, uh, you know, promoting eugenics. And it's just, it's really kind of ghastly. And then the other key uh, component of that is that once the forced sterilization and the um, open eugenics policies got a bad rap because of Hitler in World War II, um, they then converted that into uh, the whole Planned Parenthood initiative. Planned Parenthood's former name, uh, I forget it, forget the exact name, but it had eugenics in it. It was a eugenics society. Right. And then uh, became Planned Parenthood. You know what one of their main uh, financial supporters was? Uh, was Prescott Bush. Uh, George H.W. Really. Bush's dad was one wow. of the main people. In fact, um, and this is in, this is not inflammatory literature. I'm talking about, I'm talking about stuff that's like, like a Wikipedia or whatever. Uh, evidently, he had, was it Margaret Mead, I believe? Who, yeah. who was the woman, or, or Margaret Sanger, excuse me, Margaret, Margaret Sanger, Sanger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that evidently there were suggestions that they'd had something going on. Prescott and Margaret really? Sanger well, had something going on. Well, that's because there's been some suggestions that uh, Barbara's family, Barbara Bush's family, may have had some to do with uh, um, Aleister Crowley and the OTO back in its early days. Going from bad to worse here. Yeah. Uh, but But this was accepted. And we had guys who were folk heroes of America like Henry Ford and his Ford Foundation that were some of the main people bankrolling this overall, including Hitler's efforts, correct? Was, was, weren't yes. they funding actually Hitler's work to look at selective breeding of an advanced race? Absolutely, especially uh, the Rockefellers were um, from that time and past that, that time going both directions have been heavily into eugenics and they still are really um, but yeah the, the, and Ford was definitely a, uh, had some racist ideology there and um, and yet you know their, their foundations now kind of pose as uh, kind of very liberal organizations um, when <laughs> kind of really they, they stand for, for this racist ideology of eugenics well one thing and i know you appreciate alex jones's work and his documentaries one of the things that i thought he shows well and i'm sure he's not the first to say this in his documentary Endgame, was that the the modern environmental movement which which caring for the environment is not a bad thing by any means in and of itself but as it is manifest today on a global level was actually a repackaging of the eugenics movement of massive population reduction just like we mm-hmm. talked about with the Georgia Gadstones a couple of weeks ago, that yep. that that basically that this massive population reductions to support an elite uh, that have better genes supposedly. Uh, now with the environmental movement, they can say it's to save Mother Earth, and well, the same people are funding it that funded eugenics. They just call it something different to put a smiley face on it. Exactly, and they this is open. I have I have quotes in my book about that where 
um, at these meetings, they said, all right, eugenics has a bad name, but of course we all still love eugenics. So what we need to do is change the name and make it sound um, more friendly. So they said instead of telling someone, hey, you are unfit to have children, we want to, to make it sound like, hey, we want every child to have a warm, comfortable, healthy home life. And, you know, that sounds great. Well, what do they mean by that? They mean that they need um, lots of abortion clinics in poor neighborhoods. That's what the, the result is, because they uh, they especially want to target uh, low-income minority populations with with ready abortion and with programs that will um, cut down on their numbers. And that all goes back to eugenics ideology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Uh, and it's a further extension of that. You give a classic case in point of how these people have set up a system through our government, a federal, state, local government, that actually impacts a child from the time even before they're born up until the time that they're much older ways that they can actually extend their influence into the well-being of a child. Can you give us some examples of how this eugenic state that now exists, particularly in our country, influences a child's development before and after birth? Um, yeah, I think they, they get their first uh, vaccine 12 hours after they're born that has, I think, 30 times the level of mercury um, or some, you know, vast amount of mercury, 30 times the adult safe amount of mercury, and they inject it into a, a, a 12-hour-old baby. Now, even yeah. before that, even when, when someone is pregnant, they're already right. trying to meddle with them as well, right, too. I mean, first thing they'd love to do is to be able to kill the baby. That's that's right. the, They make it very, very easy to kill your baby. They will streamline the process, hold your hand, bring you back and forth to the you know hospital, those kind of things like that, or the clinic. Well, uh, make it where you don't have to tell your parents, that kind of thing. But but they actually start messing with the health of the, the parent even before they get to the point of birth, Greg. Well, absolutely. And you saw during this last uh, swine flu hysteria, they were specifically targeting pregnant women with those vaccines. And mm-hmm. Right, um, that's right. There, there have been no safety testing, and with past Normal flu shots, they recommend that pregnant women don't get them because it can be very dangerous for them. But just with no testing and no, you know, reasoning, it was just, hey, pregnant women really need to get this shot. And that you can, you can go online and search for it and there's forums full of women who had, um, you know, violent miscarriages and things hours after they, after they, after they got the flu shot. And of course, you know, the, the government and the, the doctors will not admit that it was connected, um, but there's you know hundreds of women that say it is. So it's just you know that once you understand that what the the elite truly believe is that overpopulation is the the biggest problem, um, or at least that's you know mm-hmm. their version. Bill Gates or anyone like that, they and the, their focus is on reducing population. Well, how would you do that? They want to reduce fertility, reduce the number of kids people have, and then uh, reduce lifespan of the people that, that are born. And all that goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and just at the, the TED conference the other day, Bill Gates specifically said 
that he was worried about world population going to 9 billion people, but that if we could get some new vaccines in there, he thought we could reduce that by 15%. And it's, you know, I don't know how you explain that away if, if you go with the argument that vaccines are wonderful and they help people and make them healthy and happy, how doing that would cause a 15% population reduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, right. and and I'm just looking at a story here that we didn't quite, uh, I hope to get to on the news here. Uh, I didn't get to it last week. But uh, Dr. Philip J. Landrigan, he's the professor of pediatrics at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine uh, and the chairman of the school's Department of Preventive Medicine, uh, just issued a uh, issued a, a medical, a peer-reviewed report in a medical journal saying that um, uh that he has, he cites a bunch of historically, quote, historically important proof of concept studies that specifically link autism to environmental exposures experienced uh, prenatally. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's all about the stuff that they're giving you in shots and they're giving your kids. You know, I'm going on recollection here, Andrew, if you can fill in the dots, but there are several phases in a young person's life where they're able to basically like a, a drug pusher out on the, uh, you know, the edge of the school playground, you know, that's trying to get the kids to come over the fence and get them hooked on stuff. When, when they get their shots, uh, before I interrupted you talking about prenatal, when they get their shots shortly after birth, they just deluge them with all sorts of diseases that attack them at once, right, and overwhelm their uh, their immunity system? Well, yeah, and then they're, they're giving way more vaccines than they used to. And the goal of a vaccine is to stimulate the immune system. And when you, when you do that over and over again with young children, pretty soon their body is, is working so hard to fight off all of these, um, you know, weakened viruses and things in the vaccine that they are more susceptible to, uh, to other thicknesses that they come in contact with and to allergies. You see lots of little kids with, with all sorts of very severe allergies. And personally, I think, I think that's uh, not a coincidence. You know, the, the vaccines have a big impact on that. When I started learning about this, I, I remember my mom always told me that shortly after I was born, I was sick nonstop. She said I cried nonstop for like a year. And she just constantly have to walk around holding me, you know, and I was just crying. And I was always really sick. It turned out I was allergic to, like, everything. I mean, absolutely everything as I got older. And I asked her the other day, I said, you know, what, what caused that? How, how soon after I was born did, did I start having this severe sickness all the time? And she thought about it. And she says, you know, I think it was just right after I went and took you to the doctor for your shots. Yeah. And all this time growing up, there had never been an association of the cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I'm sure there's something to do with that. But well, it's—I mean—that's an awfully dark thing, unless you're unless you're familiar with this. Right. You know, it doesn't make sense. I was talking with somebody else about some of this, and they they said, "Look, I can't, I can't accept this because that means that things out there are really, really dark and really, really evil, and I just don't like thinking like that." Mm-hmm. Which is not a reason to. But- you know, right. accept or di- you know that's that's right. You know, but but I think it's it's important too. The doctor doesn't know they're bad necessarily. You know, they were taught in medical school these things are mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're the reason that lifespans are longer now. It's because we've eliminated childhood diseases. 
um, you know, when in reality I think it was better sanitation and hygiene that, that accomplished mm-hmm. most of that. But, um, you know, it, it's on many levels it's not being done malevolently. Uh, you know, At the local level. Case, right, on the local level. And yeah. these vaccine companies, um, you know, are, are they're obviously trying to make a profit, but it's just this this weird, uh, I don't know, crime stop Orwellian think where a person can have a severe reaction to a vaccine and they will just dismiss it and say it had nothing to do with the vaccine and then say, oh, vaccines are safe. Look, there's no severe reaction. Um, oh, sure, lots of people happen to have severe reactions, but of mm-hmm. course those had nothing to do with the vaccine. It's kind of a circular right. Yeah. Circular and, yeah. If you're in the medical business and so you carry some clout and you start asking these questions, the, the attorneys for the pharmaceutical industry can wipe you out pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and Merck, um, it, it wasn't a vaccine. It was their, their product, Vioxx. They knew that it was killing people in trials. They knew that it was going to kill a lot of people when they put it out on market. But they, they figured out, hey, we can still make a lot of money before people catch on that, that it is going to kill a lot of people. Um, so keep an eye and, and find out who is speaking out against it. So they, they made a list of those people, and they called it their hit list. Yeah. And, you know, whether it was going after them, um, trying to get their, you know, their employer, their associations to disavow them or just, you know. Yeah. The internal memo said that we have to eliminate these people. And they never said exactly what eliminate meant. But, you know, some of them had some of them wound up dead under mysterious circumstances. Others of them, you know, wound up getting attacked by other other members and sued. And uh, they just sort of went right down the list. That was actually, I don't know why we don't hear about it here, but that was a Supreme Court case, uh, or it's, well, it's equivalent there in in Australia. And it it never made it over here. Yeah. And it's, well, and, you know, they're investigating um, the World Health Organization for being in collusion with with Big Pharma and Mm -hmm. and changing the qualifications for a pandemic in in order to sell vaccines. Mm-hmm. And they're doing all these investigations in Europe, but we don't hear about them in the U.S. And uh, and I think it's, you know, vaccines, it's the only medicine product that you can really sell to people who aren't sick. And that's a big market. So I think, you know. It, it's I guess except for Vi- Viagra or things like that, maybe. <laughs> well, you, those are, you come up with sicknesses uh, for people. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's fascinating. Uh, can, can you very quickly explain, on a related area, how the water we drink and even the containers that hold it support the eugenics cause? Sure. I think uh, fluoride is, a, is obviously a big part of that. Lots of parts of the country have fluoridated water, which is uh, literally toxic waste. In lots of cases, they use, I'll probably say it wrong, but fluorophoric acid that comes straight out of wet scrubbers um, of these, you know, chemical processing plants, and they just stick it, you know, they, they haul it to your your local water district and stick it in the water. And they they can't dispose of it uh, without paying very expensive, you know, environmental fees and 
and treating it as toxic waste unless they dumped it into your water supply. Um, In which case they get paid for it, yeah. Right. It it was was kind of a a genius system, and it was good old Edward Bernays that was uh, under contract for the Alcoa aluminum uh, company that first got fluoride put in drinking water, and he found a few... Uh, I found a few dentists that had found that it caused teeth to harden. And then he um, said, well, in general, are harder teeth, you know, more healthy? And a few other dentists said, oh, yeah, and you know, in general, that, that could be a good thing. So that became, oh, it's healthy for your teeth. And all of a sudden it was in everyone's water supply and there was no real evidence that it was healthy for teeth. It can cause dental sclerosis and and other things and it is a uh, sedative you know it keeps people docile it, it's been shown that it lowers IQ um, and that doesn't make sense in, until you realize uh, you know docile dumb people are a little easier to manage and they're they're a little less likely to ask questions they're less likely to um, you know get together and talk about how to change things, they're more likely to sit around and watch television and just, you know, buy the things they're told to on TV. That sounds too dark for the kind of person who doesn't normally listen to a show like ours. They just, they cannot conceive that. But that is precisely what I understand the writings Hitler put in when he had that put in the water supply of our POWs, where they got this idea from. That is explicitly what he wanted to do, was to dull their senses so they couldn't think creatively on how to escape and do other things like that. Is, isn't that true? Yeah, that, that is true. I mean, that, that's, where, that's where they did it first, and the Soviet gulags also did it. Um, and, you know, lots of these programs, they, they work on several different levels. You've got a greedy company that, that instead of paying to dispose of something, gets paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get, you know, maybe the, the local officials are getting a little kickback from the contract from the, the company. And and then people are told, oh, it's for the children, it's for the poor children's <laughs> teeth. And yeah. it's amazing that there's even uh, some evidence that they specifically uh, have higher fluoride and other chemical concentrations in low-income neighborhoods. And it's, you know, hmm. it's just, it's, it's just definitely a sick thing. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, down with BPA's Bionic. Is that what's in the water bottles? Yeah, it's what's in the water bottles. You know, I drink, I have a, a couple of Nalgene bottles that I use for glasses. Yeah. And they are BPA-free. Really? Yeah. You're always 10 steps ahead of me here. Ladies and gentlemen, you really need to look into this. It's something that's very serious, and you need to also get uh, Mr. Hoffman's book at at Mm eugenicswars.com because there's much more information that you Mm -hmm. need to understand. And footnote all of it. If you don't agree with him, go Mm -hmm. to look at the source. Someone else you may not agree with is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. 
comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, it's that time. We've got to go. Let's Any go. last words? Nope. Just get out of here. Tomorrow is the next installment with Andrew Hoffman. Until then, we hope your future's always bright. Have a good day. Ciao, baby. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And Tom, not going to participate in the this world's power structure bionic. Thank goodness. Yeah. You just maintain your own power structure yourself, right? Yeah, I'm all about the upside-down pyramid. So all your great wealth and power you're keeping to yourself? Apparently, apparently I'm keeping it even from myself. <laughs> from yourself. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I understand. Uh, this week uh, we've, we've had uh, on Andrew Hoffman author of The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars, A Christian Perspective. We're talking about a rediscovered biblical worldview of the world's power structures and their satanic techniques and agenda. You can find out more about him at eugenicswars.com and get his book. It is essential reading. Uh, this is our third installment of our second week with mm. Andrew Hoffman, one of those rare two-week deals, mm-hmm. and that's because of how good and how information-packed his book is. So mm. uh, here's the third installment with Brother Andrew, and then we'll be com- coming right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Now, as if that wasn't enough, you- you're talking about even the containers that hold water have a s- right. similar hazard for the public. Right. There's, um, there's you know, hundreds of different kinds of plastics that were around and back, I believe, in the 1950s. The one they chose specifically for drink containers um, puts off, it basically leaches a um, an estrogen-mimicking hormone. So it hyper-feminizes women um, and it, it makes men less masculine. And mm-hmm. again, so... Um, You've got less aggressive, less masculine men, and you've, and then you've got all sorts of other negative side effects with, with women, uh, you know, early development, and uh, it could definitely have something to do with breast cancer and other things like that. So there's, there's, there was a really good, uh, just mainstream documentary up in Canada called The Disappearing Male, and they, and they cover uh, the plastic and some of the other chemicals that are out there. Yeah, you've got bovine growth hormone, you know, estrogen, right. other hormones that's added. That, in fact, I even came across an article, medical article, that was thinking this may have had an increase in homosexuality. It was because you were taking away the testosterone from males. Right. That, Interesting. That would, it would make sense. Yeah. Hmm. Um, this leads to another basic question you referred to, and that is the difference in positive and negative eugenics. Can you very quickly clarify what the difference in those two are? Sure. Po- positive eugenics is the creation of their um, supposed Superman, and that involves uh, now it involves the fields of transhumanism. You know, where you're talking about implanting microchips and giving people, you know, special abilities and things like that. And then negative eugenics is uh, for the rest of us to basically dumb us down and um, to reduce fertility rates and things like that. So 
Mm-hmm. So the, the positive eugenics is for the elite, and then the, the negative eugenics is for the rest of the race, basically. And this is just right out of their writings. They they don't try to cover this up. Uh, right. Th- People who are heroic people that we study in school in the early part of the 20th century, a lot of your famous writers like H.G. Wells was part of this, Jules Verne, um, uh, Aldous Huxley wrote Brave New World, uh, Jack London. All these guys were really big in supporting this, Woodrow Wilson, other people. And today, now we have a new breed of people, excuse the pun, like uh, I think think we mentioned Microsoft guy Gates and others who adopt the same belief that an elite have to basically lead the world, and either they've got to breed out and eliminate certain kinds of people, or the, the best hope they can have is that they're, they're reduced to a drone state where they can sort of work to support yeah. the elite. And, and, and this, is, this is like science fiction to people hearing it, except this is just verbatim out of their own writings where they talk about this. Yeah, I think Bertrand Russell said that right. their, their goal was to, to get things to the point where, um, you know, People rebelling against the system that was doing this to them would be as ridiculous as sheep rebelling against the, pro- the practice of eating mutton. You know, that's what. Right. Uh, right. He said they wouldn't even have the capability to throw off their captors, even a, a thought to it. And, you know, he was such a wonderful guy that they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> hmm. uh, in, well, in the... they only give peace prizes to people who really deserve it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's something everybody understands and agrees with that. Um, I, I got one more chemical question uh, before we, we we move on, uh, and that's regarding since since you've covered again a gamut in your very brief book, you mentioned this whole idea of chemtrails, which right. people used to laugh about and think, oh, that's another one of these people like you know thinking there's people living on the moon or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But now there's overwhelming evidence I see on mainstream news stories talking about chemtrails on on regular TV. They've already collected universities have collected stuff falling out of the contrails behind these airplanes that is not something just a product of combustion in the engine. That is something that is seeding the area and reports reports from the government are saying they're purposely seeding things. Is this correct? And if so, what kind of stuff are we being exposed to? Yeah, but one of the, the common things they, they almost always find is barium and that can have a negative effect on the immune system, uh, which fits right in there with uh, the effects of vaccines and other other parts of the eugenics program, and uh, it it is admitted. And in my book, I have other terms that they uh, call it. You know, the government doesn't call it chemtrails, but if you enter those other terms into a search engine, you can find you know government studies, university studies about uh, these different programs that involve spraying stuff out of airplanes, and uh, some of it is supposedly climate-related. They, they think they can manipulate the climate that way. Um, and then some, you know, they don't really explain it. It's just, just an experiment they're doing. So it definitely is out there, you know. That's um, uh, one of my my uh, fellow teachers over in Korea, he, we were talking about this stuff, and he said, the most ridiculous conspiracy theory I've ever heard is chemtrails. And so I, I went and got him a um, he was from Wisconsin, so I got him a, a University of Wisconsin professor talking about chemtrails and how they're a bad idea. So <laughs> he he was a little more convinced after that. But yeah, they, they, they definitely are out there. Um, you know, it's just what are they there for? That, that part I don't fully understand what they're there for. But 
uh, barium's not something we really want falling out of the sky on top of this stuff. And, and don't the people have a right to know what their government is doing with this material? Absolutely. That's really the, the, the big question. I'm sure we're paying for it. You know, yeah, we're paying no for kidding. It not, not, not that you've not painted a, a bleak enough uh, picture <laughs> of these forces. and we, We've not talked about this in our part two here, but you, you always lay it down that there is a spiritual component of who's driving uh, agents here on earth you know, to do these kind of activities that, that the Bible can help explain why they're doing these kind of things. But there's, a, there's another element, um, and you, you mentioned uh, uh, a quotation from a gentleman uh, who's actually on the radio, a, a law enforcement officer, that says that when tyranny comes to your door, it will be wearing a uniform. And sometimes a smile. Uh, and and uh, you, you talk in your book about the Child Protective Services racket. Uh, that's that's my term, and 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 you go beyond that even to the civilian in bank labor program. As far as th- things that are given endorsements within our state, local, federal government of activities to exploit people out there, can, can you explain a little bit about that? About what what these uh, official um, law enforcement arms, arms of you know that are backed by law enforcement to remove children to manipulate what they're exposed to, what are the kind of things they do, and how it's not what it appears to be. Right, and I think um, usually the system works to, uh, first they, they take a real problem, you know, there, there are kids that are abused and things like that uh, by their parents, and then they uh, use that for advertisement, you know, they, they make sure that the evil parent is on the, the evening news and the poor child. Um, and then they, they come up with a system like Child Protective Services, uh, which outside of any real court of law can come and, and take someone's child away um, and, you know, give it to someone else, basically, or, or have it be in state care. And the system is set up in a way that just invites abuse. Um, these agencies get money per child. So if you work for one of these agencies, the more children you take away from their parents and put into the system, the more money you get. And some some of them even get personal bonuses. Uh, but regardless, you know, they all get, um, you know, money for their, their department. And Man, that's terrible. And it, it it's almost like terrible. a bounty. It's almost like a bounty hunter getting paid yeah. for a bounty. And there are lots of stories, and I give some examples in my book, where, you know, a neighbor's dog bit one of their kids, and all four of their children got taken away. Um, and the CPS worker had to lie to do it, and it was they proved in court that the CPS worker lied, but they still didn't get their children back. They said, oh, they've been away from you for too long. It would be traumatic to give them back to you now. And it's just, you know, that's, it's kind of an extreme case, but it's, it's really. It's not uh, that extreme. That's there's been other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, you know? Yeah, you can find that stuff going on fairly regularly. Yeah. Actually, my understanding. This may have been quoted in your book too, but I know I've seen it elsewhere. That children are more likely to be victims of some kind of either sexual molestation or physical abuse right. while they're in care in foster care or protective services than they are in the homes that they're taken out of. They're they're way more likely, and in fact. Um, and admittedly, many of the homes they get taken out of abuse 
is not, has not been proven. Um, there's not even strong evidence for it. It just it's totally up to the discretion of the CPS worker. If they say, "Oh, your your house is too dirty, we're taking your kid," or "Oh, your child's bedroom isn't nice enough, we're we're taking your kid," and then they get put into the, the state system. And uh, I mean, think about how terrible of a job that would be to go and take people's children away from them. You know, you have to think what type of person would want that job. And um, I think there, there's some people that get into it for all the right reasons and right. they, you know, just want to help people. And I think they usually quit in the first couple of years. There's a mm-hmm. huge turnover rate. And the people that are left are either extremely greedy and they're in it for the money and they're, you know, and the, the power, you know, the, the power over people's lives to come and take their kids away. Um, or there, there is a lot of uh, physical and sexual abuse that goes on. And mm-hmm. if you are a, um, you know, if, if you're a pedophile, that's, that is the place you want to be with a kid mm-hmm. that's separated from their family, that, you know, no one's going to believe them when they complain. That's right. Because you're, you're the government official that everyone trusts, and, and they're just some some kid that came from a rough family. And it's, it is a, a system where... Um, I think a lot of people supported it in the sense that they wanted to do, you know, good things for children, but it can lead to to a situation that's much worse. The you know the attempted cure is much worse than the disease there. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, the Jack McClan quote: "When tyranny comes to your door, we wearing a uniform." Uh, the the key there is coming to your door. You know the that's kind of the. It's not out in society, you know, playing the referee. It's, it's coming to your door. It's the idea that the state um, has the responsibility to take care of your children and to run your life and make sure you are not doing anything you shouldn't be doing. And it it just it leads uh, further and further down the road to to a tyrannical state. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one of those three things, the Civilian Inmate Labor Program, uh, some of your listeners might remember when uh, Glenn Beck got up on TV and talked about how, oh, these, there are these FEMA camps, and he couldn't debunk them, but he was going to do a show about them. Right. And then he brought out the, the extremely trustworthy James Meggs, who, you know, without any science background or anything fully disproved, uh, now, you're clients. not going to say something to cast some doubt on Glenn Beck, are you? I hope not. Oh, I, I would hope that you wouldn't actually suggest yeah. that he might not be what he appears to be to people. No promises. I love no. how I love how he was against giving money to private corporations and then was suddenly for the bailout, and then after it failed was back again against it, and then yeah. uh, was very libertarian and then ad- admitted that he was for a value-added tax. To pay for our problems, mm-hmm. and well, then he, yeah, <laughs> he, we yeah, didn't mean to interrupt you here. Sorry about that, Andrew. Yeah, he, he's a libertarian who says if he were president, the most common phrase would be, "What do you mean we're out of missiles?" You know, right? That's very uh, libertarian of him. Yeah. But um, anyway, so he, he does this whole FEMA camp thing and has James Meggs on, and and they point to some 15-year-old thing on the internet that everyone knows is fake and says, "Look, they're they're fake. There's no FEMA camp." Yeah, and um, what he ignored is something called 
the Civilian Inmate Labor Program, and you can just punch that into Google, and the first, the top uh, search link there will be from um, the military's own website talking about it. And they, they took uh, people who had been put in prison for, you know, various crimes, and they told them, all right, we'll shorten your sentence by a couple of years. Um, you'll go and work in this labor camp, um, and you have to sign a paper that that you you promise to to not admit where you've been. Okay, and we'll we'll let you out early. And if you if you break your non-disclosure agreement, you know you can be thrown back in prison or whatever. So this, this program went on for years and years, and was totally secret. It was kept secret. It was going on. Um, all over the country, I think they had a, I forget the exact number, about 10 locations at least. And you had these prisoners working in this civilian inmate labor camp program that was run by the military, and no one knew about it. And then I think in 1997, they, they declassified it, but kept the program going. And, um, you know, those are, those are the, the FEMA camp ideas of, of, you know, people can be put on these work camps and, well, it all works perfectly because that's when it's great to have a drug war because in that way you can fill the prisons and then you've got all of this free labor to do whatever you please built on a, a slave labor group after well, you fill the prisons. If someone, you know, is a, is a really violent person, you don't want them in prison because they're tougher to keep track of. So you want them out in society scaring people and convincing them they need more money for prison. And then you want the the guy who's caught with marijuana or whatever. You want him in jail because you can get him to, um, you know, work for a quarter an hour for five years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to have a drug on a war on drugs because they need the money. Local, local law enforcement does to be able to buy all the bells and whistles they have yeah, through right. drug confiscations the that big, they couldn't the get big otherwise. Tank and the, well, and, yeah, and know. even the nice SUVs and things that yeah. they have. And the uh, even the CIA appreciates it because mm-hmm. that gives them something that they can import into our country and mm-hmm. not have to nice show on their crop. budget, yep. not to show right. on their budget line to bankroll the rest of their activities. Yeah, they they don't want to have to explain to Congress, you know, where the the money for the overthrow of whatever third world country at the time it is, you know. So they they come up with their own. Yeah. Well, and thank goodness for them when they know this is that when occasionally they have a boo boo like when one of their planes crashed, mm-hmm. um, what was it in South America or Mexico, and it had yeah. all of the cocaine on it that they were, you know, bringing in a sea airplane. It was all on the international news and BBC. Uh, they know Americans are, are so illiterate that they don't even know about what goes on the news outside of what they hear in the big three or cable news and aren't even aware of these kind of stories. Yeah, and it, and it, unfortunately, it's not not too rare. Um, yeah, I was going to say airplane. Think, go ahead. Airplane, but before it had been used for uh, drug trafficking, was used for those uh, uh, renditions. So mm-hmm. you know, first it's used to kidnap people, take them to prisons in you know Eastern Europe and torture them, and then it's used to run drugs all over the place. And that's well, there's a lot of evil things to do, and you have to sort of spread it around. Everybody, every evil has to wait its turn. You know, to be able to use the assets that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of that, um, what are the two areas, now that we're getting the areas back of institutional evil, what are the two areas of government that are of greatest interest for influence by the secret societies? 
You mentioned two of them in particular where you'll find them most prevalent. Yeah, definitely uh, foreign policy and economic policy. And those are the things that um, don't change administration to administration. You know, you had uh, George W. Bush, the supposed conservative Republican who was uh, pushing wars of aggression and uh, bank bailouts and, you know, everything else. And now you have Obama who's supposedly on the left and his administration keeps on uh, expanding the wars and keeps on with more bailouts and stimulus and everything else. So, it, um, you know, the, it's kind of like a, a mother will let her, her kid choose uh, what type of vegetable. You know, honey, would you like peas or carrots for dinner? Um, you know, they, they let us choose, oh, would you like a Democrat or Republican? But mm-hmm. in, the, in the areas of, of foreign policy and economic policy, we don't really get a choice. And if you uh, have a candidate like a Dennis Kucinich on the left or a Ron Paul on the right that would actually do something different, um, our wonderful mainstream media makes sure and tells everyone that they're they're crazy and kooky and that they don't have a chance to win. So. Mm-hmm. Or you'll end up like that fellow McDonald in Congress. He pointed out these very self-same things, and shortly after that, his uh, airplane went missing over uh, nor- uh, North Korea. Yeah, Larry McDonald. Yeah, yeah got, mm-hmm. got shot down shortly after he put his cards on the table about what he observed that was going on uh, at yeah. this time. So they, they have a lot of different ways to deal with that to make sure things stay the, the way they are. You, well, you, I'm sorry? Or I think uh, even more recently, um, wasn't it Wellstone that was against Paul the Patriot Act? And, and his, his airplane took a dive, you know, just in a rather peculiar manner mm-hmm. right out became out against the Patriot Act. Hmm. Well, uh, speaking of these secret societies, uh, you know, we're, we're familiar with Freemasons. There's a number of Skull and Bones. There's a number of them out there we've talked about. You say they're actually sort of structured of three tiers. Can you explain what those three different kind of tiers are? Um, sure. There's, and it might not be true of all the organizations, but the more public ones like Freemasons and things like that, um, they've got the, the lower levels, which are kind of similar to what they portray themselves to be, you know, just a community organization or a fraternal organization. Um, and the, the people at those levels might really not believe anything bad's going on. They might think they're they're in it for good reasons or just for business contacts and things like that. Um, but then, out of that big group of people, a smaller and, and, group, and they're left, and they're they're out there to try to keep a good positive PR for the organizations in general, correct? Right, you to know, the public. I mean, they might do some wonderful community program, like offer free microchipping or whatever it was the donations <laughs> were offered. How nice! They were doing some charity, yeah. quote unquote, charity thing with the microchips. But, okay. Usually, uh, yeah, usually it's something a little more. Um, a little more innocent than that, but right. then the the second layer. If you if you move past that layer, uh, you know they tell you, all right, everything we told you before that was a lie, but now we're going to tell you the truth, and and here it is, and this is what these symbols really mean, and this is what our organization is really about, and it might be. Um, you might be asked to do some bad stuff, but hey, it's for it's for a greater good. You know, it's it's for your brothers in the organization. 
um, overall, this is really a good thing. So that, that's kind of the second layer. And if people are, um, you know, gung-ho and they're, they're going to keep going with the Freemasons or whatever group it is, then they might get exposed to the higher layer. And, uh, you know, I, I, I split it into three, but there, there could be many layers in between. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. Um, where they say, all right, we were lying to you before, but now we're telling you the truth and, hey, guess what? We really worship Lucifer and this is all a, a spiritual thing, but don't worry, Lucifer is really the good God and, uh, the God of the Bible is the bad God. I'm sure if you, I'm sure you've seen that uh, that Christian who confronted one of those, uh, right. one of the the uh, the Masonic guys there, uh, looked like L.A. or something in front of the convention center there, and he said that Lucifer was really a light bearer, and that he's got to do good works because he's filled with the spirit of Lucifer, and yeah. all of that other. Mm-hmm. It, it's completely right. crazy. Yeah, you're yeah. you're pure and virtuous and wholesome. Yes, well, yes, yes. You've seen the video. Well, I might add that even if they have these dark kind of things, I've seen a recurring theme, whether it's Knights Templar or other kind of groups, Skull and Bones. They usually have so many um, the goods on people, so much incriminating evidence, that they use that as a means by which to keep people from speaking. You know, right. they've commonly said this over and over again, like when they get in the casket and they recite all of their terrible sexual mores and things like that, in skull and bones, and then they've got something they can hold over you in case you ever start to spill the beans. And that's what they did in the ancient mystery religions. Uh, the priest in the in the mysteries would actually have you confess all these kind of things as part of the process, and they used that over your head to keep you from ever squealing about what you learned. And they were able to okay. keep it quiet. The ancient mysteries, people didn't squeal, particularly in the greater mysteries, uh, okay. what it was that they actually observed and experienced in it. So people can keep secrets on a mass basis if you've got enough you know to hold over them uh at that particular time one one, one last comment on that too is i know uh robert hieronymus in uh, riddles and stone chris pinto's documentary he talked about even in ancient egypt there was things told about all these multiple gods that existed for the common people to understand and then the priest understood that they weren't multiple gods it was just one sun god from the sun, and these these were told other stories to keep them occupied. And then there was a group above the priest who understood right. that there was something from somewhere else other than where the sun god was. So this is a format that's been laid out for a long period of time. We're back in Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom going for the upside-down pyramid power structure. Amen. Bionic. Not the pyramid that goes with no. the... All fascist I, systems no, and upside down, holding secret up, societies. Trying to hold up the weakest. Like, Pray for those downtrodden. Like he's explained before, yeah. the world system, you cower before the leaders above yeah. you, and you domineer over the ones below. Yeah. And that's not how Christ has his yeah. kingdom. Give clothes to the wicked, heal up the broken hearts. Mm-hmm. True religion. And if you want to be a, be a leader, be great in the kingdom, be servitable. Mm-hmm. Stepping, you know, like the whole idea, like when you enter the ministry or get, you know, step away from the ministry, you like mm-hmm. step up right. instead of step down because you're... And Jesus said, he said everything openly. There's no secrets that only a part of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like this show. <laughs> well, somebody else who can tell you something is Merv who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. 
Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. All right, let's get out of here. One more segment we have with Brother Andrew Hoffman. Uh, tomorrow, until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, 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 Bionic. The man with three first names. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is our fourth installment, final one for this week, with Andrew Hoffman, who is the author of The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars, A Christian Perspective. Uh, it's available at eugenicswars.com. That's E-U-G-E-N-I-C-S dot wars dot com. Very subtle. And uh, you should uh, go to futurequake.com. You can see the link to it. And we're talking about a rediscovered biblical worldview of the world's power structures and their satanic techniques and agenda. Mm -hmm. um, as we've said over and over again the last two weeks, and he's here for a rare two-week uh, extended uh, visit with yeah. us, is that this is a must book for you to get and for you to pass on to your skeptical friends, people at church, family mm -hmm. members. Economical, too, really. And you know? Yes, that's right. And uh, we need to cut away for that last segment, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Um, I, I want to, uh, to to talk about something else again that's uh, like like this hasn't been uh, sensitive enough, what we've talked about. Can you give us some examples? We have talked on the show about it, but some false flag exercises and why you think Christians should expect that our government routinely does stuff that they deceive us about, even on things on, regarding military attacks on our country. Sure. There's, um, you know, the, the first shift in thinking, uh, what, what we talked about earlier, is to, to realize that the, the government and, you know, the, the people behind the government, they want war. That is, you know, war is the health of the state, is the, the famous quote there. And so it's, it's not something that they're worried about or something that they um, will go to as a last resort. They are almost constantly trying to get people uh, to get behind the war effort. So uh, when you realize that that is the goal, you know, they want war, then you realize, well, what are good tactics for getting people into war? And false flag terrorism has been a, a very effective tactic, and it's, um, you know, it's been used throughout history. If it is used well, we don't know about it, and we only know about the ones that are, are found out, in other words, that aren't... Um, effective enough to be totally concealed and that the, it basically works that you you know whether you blow something up or you or something happens and you blame it on someone when it's not really their fault you blame it on whoever you want to go to war with um, or at least the group close enough <laughs> close enough to that group that you can group them all in together uh, you, you tell the people that they're being attacked the, this other group did it let's let's go get them and, um, you know, there, there have been quite a few examples of events that, um, small events staged overseas. In fact, this is even in uh, Army manuals. If you get up to a certain level, it will teach you how to stage 
terror attacks and blame it on your enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually, you know, just a, a policy thing to do. And um, I think UN soldiers were caught doing it over in Europe a couple of years ago. It's just, it's something that everyone in the intelligence and upper levels of the military community knows about, um, but most mm-hmm. most of us normal folks don't. So. Well, cor- cor- correct me if I'm wrong here, okay? One is our historians have confirmed the Spanish-American War was based upon an attack that really didn't happen. We were right. told it was an attack. We have World War One. Lusitania was sent out to be blown up when our own officials knew that it probably would be blown up and give us an excuse to go in War One. Right. That that uh, Wilson wanted that. We now have evidence, and by the way, there's a new book coming out from Judge Andrew Napolitano, who's well-respected with people on the right, who confirms all these things, and I'm just saying, uh, yeah. that that FDR and and uh, Churchill knew about the attack on uh, Pearl Harbor, knew it ahead of time, and wanted it to occur to be able to force us into the war. And he goes into great detail in his book documenting some of this information. Uh, Gulf of Tonkin, uh, t- totally contrived. Uh, now our historians say it was contrived about what led us into the Vietnam War. We have the USS Liberty attacked, which the American people never found out about. Uh, Israeli uh, planes bombing it. Our own president, LBJ, did not even let our own soldiers defend themselves in the middle of that. And on and on and on. So giving that that background, in fact, uh, even Operation Ajax, where we have our own CIA going in and acting as terrorists to blow up mosques and to create rebellion to overthrow a democratically elected government in Iran. Right. Which right. now Americans wonder, well, how come these Iranian people are always after us? And they've been <laughs> totally misled on what their their heartburn yeah. with us is about. Well, and wasn't wasn't even Savick trained by our our people? Even Norman Schwarzkopf right. Senior, you know, and they were the people that were doing the really mm-hmm. like cutting people when they put the shot when they put the shot in. Yeah, cut, you know, right. just terrible. And this is what the Iranian stuff. people remember. So what I'm led to believe now is when I hear things going on um, out there. Uh, you know, there's been some skirmish, and this terrible government did something to our people, or whatever. I have no reason to believe what the government has, the story they've handed to our media officials, yeah, who don't bet it. They they really read it over on. the air to to tr- ever trust our own government what they say what really happened. Right. right. Yeah, and and especially not if they're if they're saying something, and then the the implication is you need to support our next war. That's mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. That's, that's a big red flag. Off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and sometimes it makes me very sad because, for example, there were some young people who supposedly wandered into Iranian countryside and are being held in Iran, and Iran said that they're spies. How am I right. to know whether those people? Are, I don't know them personally. They're you know hopefully right. they're not. Mm. But who am I to know if people like that are not spies actually? Yeah, because that, that happens all the time. I think that's that's it's unbelievably sad and it's. Unfortunately, it's a fair question. Yeah. You know, what are these guys doing there? It does seem like an odd place to go on a camping trip. Just on a camping trip and to just, yeah, Yeah. to to go over there. And, I mean, it was still wild country at the time they were over there. You know, Mm -hmm. people were, and they just happened to wander all over the, uh, over the border, over the border, you know, when the time occurs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we see all this stuff going on, and that leads to the big question. Um, You touched the third rail in this book. And actually say that you have a lot of questions about the official government story on 911, and you're not bashful about that, are you? No, I'm not. I, th- I think I'll 
the Orwell quote is, uh, freedom is the ability to say two plus two equals four. And I think, um, you know, there's, there's people that assume the official story is true, and then there's people like me who at one point assumed that the official story was true, you know, 19 hijackers, um, you know, they're, they're mad at us for some, some strange reason. Maybe it's not that they're mad that we're free, but they, they're mad for some reason, and that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and But the, there's some of us that went, went beyond that and started looking into it. Um, and every single aspect of the official 9-11 story has huge contradictions and holes in it. And, uh, you know, whether it's a timeline where you've got uh, government officials like Norman Mineta testifying that Dick Cheney was one place at one time and Dick Cheney saying that he wasn't, um, and you've got this whole conversation about a plane coming in and they were tracking it and Dick Cheney telling them, you know, that the orders still stand and then the, that's supposedly the bike that hits the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, apparently they're aware of it the whole way in. And uh, telling NORAD to stand down, not yeah. intercept them for the only time in its 54-year uh, history was turned mm-hmm. off for four hours right. uh, during during 9/11. Sending all of the airplanes except for a handful away from the East Coast, sending them out west on the exact time, and then you see pictures of exercises going on, you know, sometime like the week before that shows airplanes hitting into the side of the Pentagon. Well, during there was even an exercise going on that they were supposed to track planes and. When when this whole story came out, many of the people in the middle of this exercise said, "Whoa, is this part of the exercise, or did mm-hmm. this, this did this right. exercise somehow just go live?" Mm-hmm. Which is exactly like the seven seven bombings in London. Mm-hmm. The exact same things they 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 happen exactly verbatim. The bombings at the same stations, yeah. same buses as what was planned. Yeah, as as what was uh, a security drill that was going on exactly right. at the same time. Right. Yeah, and and that that's important um, because. You know, one of the questions people always always bring up um, is, well, how could you know that many people be in on it and keep a secret and all those things? Mm-hmm. And the war games part is important because it shows that most people weren't in on it. Most people thought they were part of a drill. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a, a plane hijacking drill or you know they're flying their jet aircraft over. Uh, you know, towards the North Pole as part of a training exercise dealing with the Russian invasion and things that were going on uh, on 9-11. You know, you had planes sent way north, you had planes sent way south. You just happened to have almost all the fighter planes away from Washington, D.C. and New York. Um, And all that was coordinated uh, just happened to be under the auspices of of, uh, the Vice President Dick Cheney and uh, also Donald Rumsfeld, Mm -hmm. and Cheney also, just coincidentally, of course, happened to change the the rules for intercepting hijacked aircraft and made it so that it went through either him or Rumsfeld instead of their normal Mm -hmm. procedure, which was just um, kind of automatic. Say a plane goes off course, it's suspicious, you send up a fighter jet to find out what's going on. And, uh, now, now was, Dick Cheney was the same guy who told Cy Hirsch, the respected reporter, that he suggested that they actually take boats that were our boats and paint them to look like Iranian boats in the Persian Gulf and have them attack us 
and for us yep. to sink them to to cause the Iranian war, right? Yep. This is the same okay. person. Well, even according to Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, that he had, you know, uh, Colonel Wilkerson had, he said, uh, proof that Dick Cheney had was running a secret assassination campaign that he had cut out mm -hmm. using special forces mm -hmm. and had cut out the uh, uh, the JSOC, uh, the Joint Special mm -hmm. Forces Command officer in Tampa, Florida, so he could run this privately without the knowledge mm -hmm. of military oversight. Now, now um, pretty scary. Andrew, Christians are told, in you look in Revelation 18, it says that the kings of the earth and the great merchants of the earth conspire together. They use sorcery and other means, you know, use of drugs and things like this, by which to deceive the nations of the earth. So we understand that's a view that God is communicating us on how these kingdoms of the world work. You elaborate further in your book that really we should anticipate all this. All of this is consistent with what we understand the Bible teaches about how the nations of the world work and who is the Lord over them. Now, given said that, do you know of many, and I don't know if you listen to these many, many mainstream Christian ministries, well-known ministries on the radio or elsewhere that ask these questions about 911 or ask about Abu Ghraib or Guantanamo Bay? Do you hear a lot of your mainstream fundamentalist Christians Evangelicals talking about these issues? Um, no, I, I don't, and I, I think it's uh, it's unfortunate. You know, I think uh, one thing Christians should not be afraid of is is the truth. You know, we should. I think uh, the Bible holds up to any level of scrutiny you want to put it under. I think God is, um, you know, stands up well to any scrutiny that that humans can can put him. Put him under, you know, whether they're questioning and things, and uh, the idea that our our government is somehow above that and can always be trusted. Uh, you know, someone said, "Well, they, we know the government was lying to us before 9/11. We know the government was lying to us after 9/11. So why do we think they were telling us the truth about 9/11?" Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I think that the first, you know, I, I'm sure there's there's some people out there. Oh, this guy's nuts, or you know, this guy's an America hater, or those things. And um, I, I think that the first step is is uh, start out and read the 9/11 Commission report. Um, you know, because most people think they they know the official story, but they haven't even bothered to read that. So. You, you read that and then look at chapters four through six and where that, those come from. And all of those come from uh, the, um, the number one citation in all the three of those chapters, which is the, the most important chapters, uh, come from the testimony of one guy who was admittedly waterboarded, I think, over a hundred times. Mm -hmm. And he's from Khalid Sheikh Muhammad. Yeah, Khalid Sheikh Muhammad, and he signed a confession that he wasn't allowed to read. Mm -hmm. And that's where the official story comes from. Uh, and, uh, you know, imagine if, if us crazy conspiracy theorists had a theory based on uh, what someone had signed after he had been tortured a bunch of times and um, hadn't been allowed to read. People would say, that's ridiculous. You can't count on that. Um, so, you know, go back and look at the official story. And then um, architects and engineers, you know, looking at the building collapses. Right. 
the reason that the, the official story on that of the air, of two airplanes causing three buildings to collapse, the reason that that um, is, you know, absolutely provably false. They found thermitic material. They found explosive material in the dust that shows that there were explosives used. And these are leading um, universities that have found this, correct? This, this is, these are people that, you know, are respected scientists in their field, and lots of them paid a, a heavy price. Uh, mm -hmm. Stephen Jones was... Yeah. was um, he lost his tenure, yeah. yeah. yeah lost, lost his tenure. They, they basically bought him out and um, wanted him out of there just because of the political angle. And I guarantee you, I think there's a thousand or over a thousand architects and engineers that have signed a petition saying that they... Uh, don't trust the official version and they want a real investigation of it. But I guarantee you there's thousands more who feel that way but are afraid politically to put their name on it. Mm -hmm. and, well, let me know. ask you this. Do you think all of these major, well-funded, wealthy Christian ministries, the Dominator Airwaves and, and other Christian media, if this had happened under a Democratic administration, do you think they'd been more willing to entertain questions? Or are they so consumed with the fact that America does no wrong, where they put it on par with the Bible itself, right. that even under a democratic administration they would still refuse to consider anything bad from our government? I I don't know. I think I think there would be a certain number that would do that, um, but I think what you're also referring to is kind of the the media paradigm too of this left versus right system, and um, that's one thing I, I talk about in my book how. With 9-11, you'll have the left gatekeepers like Noam Chomsky, uh, Michael Moore, guys like that. They will go right up to the line of 9-11 truth and maybe even question it at first, but eventually they'll back off and toe the line and say, oh, no, that's that's ridiculous, you know. Um, and, you know, Michael Moore included only the, the worst and most personal evidence that was just against Bush, you know, not against... Right. real government involvement in his film. Um, and, you know, Chomsky will say things like, oh, that, that doesn't matter anyway, and, and all this stuff. And it's to keep people in a box. And it's it would be the same thing, I think, if, let's say, something happened under Obama, um, you would have people like Michael Savage or, you mm -hmm. know, Rush Limbaugh that, that might question it, but they would probably still back off and, and keep things in that that paradigm of, oh, our government would never kill American citizens. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you about the media, because what, what people, I, I assume they believe, is what the media tells them and the script that the media reads from the people who they report to financially. Right. And, and And I hate to say this, but even Christian media, to a large extent, even falls under this, too. Um, how, explain how a few companies control the information we get in our perceptions of the world. It's actually a very, very small group of people that control almost everything that we hear through mass media, correct? It is. I, th I think it's about five companies that control um, about 80% of the world's media. You know, I think uh, Rupert Murdoch alone has media that reaches uh, about half the world's population. So the these media companies are huge, and their interests are all interlocked. You know, they um, they all have an interest in keeping the system going. Um, they all have an interest in you know making sure that people uh, trust 
trust what they what they see on television. Um, and you know, we can back away from 9/11 for a second. You know, let's say there's there's questions about a particular medication. You know, um, if if a television station is considering whether or not to air that story, whether that company is a sponsor or not definitely plays a plays a factor. You know, recently we had Toyota threatening to withdraw their uh, advertising budget from ABC because they said ABC was doing too many stories on their their recall. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. it's definitely a factor, and I think um, there is an aspect of kind of self censorship that goes on with with journalists, where if you if you know that certain types of stories get published and certain types don't. Um, you obviously want to get published or you want your story to make it on the air. Um, they have a tendency to just kind of fall in line. And the way American journalism is set up, you can get away with saying anything, no matter how ridiculous, as long as you're not the one saying it, as long as you're quoting a government source mm-hmm. that is, is deemed reliable. And usually they don't even tell you who the source is. They'll just say, oh, someone close to the administration right. says blah, 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 blah. An unnamed source. That's An right. An unnamed source. And we're supposed to take that as, as you know, unbiased gospel truth. There. We're, we're getting to the last three minutes of the interview, but can you very quickly at least verify or... or you, you said there are three things that they use, or three that come to mind, that they use to imprint information in our heads and our perspective on how to believe. They use repetition... They appeal to base emotions, like like fear, for example, and they eliminate contradictory accounts to to their official story as a way to form public opinion. Aren't those the three things that everybody that's listening now, when they go listen to a mainstream media, they need to remember those three things to see what kind of programming attempt every one of these mainstream medias try to do? The use of repetition of a storyline and a slogan, Mm Appealing to your base emotions of, of 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 fear or anger or whatever, and then eliminating any kind of disputing or contradictory accounts. Those are the three things that they use every day in and in and out. Correct? Absolutely. And um, with the 9/11 example, they they know that images are more powerful than logical argument. Um, you know, we we mm-hmm. like to think of ourselves as rational beings, but images have a huge impact on us. So. Uh, whenever there's a story about 9/11, you see the image of the airplane going into the to the twin towers, mm-hmm. and then in the next frame almost, they show the towers collapsing. And what that wires into your brain is, plane going into the building caused the building to collapse. You might not consciously think that, but that is what mm-hmm. uh, is going on. Even though there was lots of time in between, even though you know any physicist or uh, architect or engineer mm-hmm. who looks at it. Will will tell you that that isn't the case. Right. Um, as far as appealing to the base emotion, um, you know, the psychologists and things have done studies, and they realize that if you want to motivate people to do something or to support something, uh, one of the best ways to do it is to make them afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's you know, right. if you can convince someone there's a boogeyman in the cave that that's going to jump out and get them, they will do whatever they think they have to do to stay safe. Or they will support the government in whatever program that they tell them, oh, this will keep you safe. And mm-hmm. 
for elimination of contradictory accounts, you know, wouldn't it be great, you know, those of you that out there, and I know there's still a few people out there who believe in the official story on 9-11, and, you know, but what's wrong with another investigation of it? You know, mm-hmm. it, it, would, it would prove all of us wrong, right? Or mm-hmm. uh, what's wrong with having a, a, a two-hour debate on national television about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they, they can't allow that because they, they have to control the range of opinions and the range of images and the range of stories that people are allowed to have. And that's why, you know, anyone outside that that range um, gets attacked. And it's not that their arguments get attacked, it's that it's they their, get attacked. Yeah, their personality, yeah, yeah personally yeah. attacked. And their, their motives, or they're called a lunatic on things like O'Reilly or something like that. <laughs> We're out of time. Um, can I, before I tell people how to I remind them how to get a hold of your book, is there another project you're thinking about doing in the future? Anything you've got planned? There is my next my next writing project um, will be on dealing more specifically with the media and public relations and how this kind of fake reality gets created and uh, what we can do to uh, get the truth out there inside of that. Okay, great. And tell people how to get your book. Where do they need to go to get your book? Go, go to uh, eugenicswars.com, and that's pretty much the only place to get it right now. Uh, it's, it's $10, you get a, a signed copy, and I, I throw in a free... Um, DVD tract. DVD tract, yep. made mm-hmm. made by Chris White, and mm-hmm. I think the one and only Tom Bionic may have had something to do with yeah, that. Yeah, he had, he had some input in there, mm-hmm. too, but that was, mm-hmm. let's let's give credit where credit is due. And yeah. It's, yeah. It's won't won't you put White. a $10 bookmark in there, too? That'd be good, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, uh Brother Andrew, I cannot tell you. We're, we're really out of time. i got to go. But I want to tell our listeners, this is essential that you get this yeah, book. go get it. We've had a lot of good books. You need to get a stack of them. Give them to the people who are skeptics. This book can be the book, I think, to get people to come around. Uh, Christians, go send it to the main people that host these major Christian media. Ask them to comment on it. Uh, we'd really love to hear the response. Would you come back again on our show real soon? Oh, Absolutely. Andrew, thank you, thank you so much for coming back for a special two-part uh, edition of Future Quake, mm-hmm. and we sure look look forward to having you come back again very soon. All right, well, thanks for having me. Okay, yeah. we're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom. Don't know what to make of this segment, but it was really good. Bionic. I know what to make of it. I was blessed it was by it, yeah. and put our cards on the table. Mm-hmm. Okay, we 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 said the big thing. There's something rotten about 911. There you sure. go. I think that may be the first time you've heard that on Christian radio, but well, you know, mainstream Christian radio. Well, I think it's fair to it's fair to divorce yourself from the the crass emotionalism that invades that issue mm-hmm. and really ask the legitimate questions. The movement, yeah. the, you know, Hard the 911, yeah, the 911 truth movement seems to be growing by leaps and bounds. You know, more and more celebrities and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, in some cases even openly talk about mm-hmm. it and decide to be activists for it. Mm-hmm. So And there were important questions that were never answered. Yeah, so mm-hmm. why don't why don't they do something about it? Uh remember eugenicswars.com, E U G E N I C S wars.com. Go to futurequake.com, get the book. Merv can tell you how to contact us at Futurequake. Futurequake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. 
That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to say goodbye. Bye. Come back for tomorrow's Tremors tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom, ready to do some news. Bionic. Now, why would you be ready to do news? Today is Friday. What would that signify, being Friday in the Future Quake world? It's trash day. That's not a very nice thing to say about our listeners. <laughs> it's uh, tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the news. Okay, you purposely missed the end of it. Tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news. Oh, I but mean, you're very close. I know. I, I thought this. I thought it's almost harder to, to mess it up than to get it right. I thought you stage. wanted. I thought you wanted to, uh, you know, like a different kind of spin. If you wanted just the same yeah. thing, you just yeah. said. Well, guess what? We we reached another milestone this week. I know it's amazing. Um, you know, we're coming up on our 600th original broadcast of Future Quake. We'll reach that in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. But for the separate weekly internet shows, this is our 200th internet weekly internet show. That is amazing. And it's amazing we still have an audience. That's the part that amazes me. But uh, people well, must not have a lot to do. They keep coming back. Well, you know, both of them turn and tune in at the same time. It's a statement about the sad <laughs> state of Television programming. That's right. That's exactly right. But we're glad for all of you that are out there. We're just very tickled to have all of you. Hey, i got a question for you. Yeah, man. Uh, And this relates to the last day's 2010 conference, which is what, April 23rd and 24th? Yes. Um, Is there a schedule going to be posted soon? I don't know. You're going to have to talk to uh, Mr. D about that. I'm getting deluged with inquiries that people want to know schedule because they're trying to time their arrival and things like that. Yeah, sure. No, I understand. I I don't know. I, you yeah. look at me like I'm putting it on. Yes, you should know. <laughs> I look to you for everything. Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're, You're in trouble. <laughs> you know, I'm sort of getting the sense this is going to be something like Woodstock, only on a grander scale. Yeah, uh, like more intense. I picture Futurians sliding out in mud, yeah. you know, outside of where the speaking engagements are. And things like yeah, that. <laughs> you're up there speaking, and instead of people dancing to the music, they're dancing to your... Your talk about uh, uh, your your thing. Yeah. yeah. Don't tell them. Uh, okay. Well, if, see, if they see the title, then they'll know. Okay. But, uh, you know, it's one of these things that the people who be there, or they're there, and 50 years later, they'll be talking about it in documentaries that they actually were there, that they, you know, have some of the original materials from when they were there. It's going to be cool. I'm getting emails the from it, and I don't, you know, I mean, I don't give my email out to anybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting emails from it. I'm getting phone calls and text messages. People going, man, I really want to show up. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Let's do it. Probably be good to bring a fake ID because probably FEMA will be there and DHS collecting yeah. names at the conference. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? This could actually be just a big yeah, a big sort sting, of sting, sting operation, operation to get us all in they one They load shot. us all up in there yeah. at one time. Well, you know what? <laughs> There's nobody I'd rather be with than with the gang that's coming. People like you, Chris White. We'll be able to pray our way out. Lynn Marzulli. <laughs> 
Rust is Dar. Yeah. Uh, we've got Tagamalone, Joe Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Pinto, yeah. and then a whole mess of Futurian listeners that'll yeah. be there at and it. There's so. a, I think there's a bunch of guys, that, a bunch of guys mm-hmm. coming up from all over. If I'm gonna be in a FEMA camp, that's where I want to be. Yeah, it'll be there. fun. Any other quick announcements before we? Oh, just you know in? the last days thing. It, it's really looking scary there out on the horizon. You know, uh, rice and beans. Yeah, with a little bit of oil. A little bit of oil. Yeah. Get after it. Okay. Now, you've got some stories that relate to that. Do you want to start first? No, I'd, I'd actually like you to start first. Well, I have, have a very brief one, and then I have some more interesting ones. This is not the most interesting one, but it's brief. Okay. So we sort of get a head start into our news. Okay. Okay. This was from, uh, uh, oh, I accidentally cut off the reference. Mm-hmm. It's a newspaper. Um, it says, a video has emerged of strange lights in the Chilean sky on the day before the massive 8.8 earthquake. That's the day before. Mm-hmm. Uh, causing speculation about whether the apparition was a heart projection or UFO warning related to the impending disaster. None of the above. Others point to similar videos taken in China and Haiti prior to the recent earthquakes in those countries. Mm-hmm. And the possibility that shifts in the Earth's crust have a dramatic effect on the atmosphere. It's uh, Well, there's some people that are speculating. You, you know what it is? So yeah. you're saying you know they're wrong. Yeah. Um, there's there's been some stuff put out lately that said that a coronal mass ejection from the sun of a su- sufficient uh, magnitude actually really interferes with uh, the magnetic ionosphere around there and ends up really putting pressure on the uh, on the inside of the Earth's magnetic whatever causes the magnets to go mm-hmm. and uh, they can tend to pinpoint the larger earthquakes. Uh, based vaguely on you know coronal mass ejections that meet certain mm. uh, obscure criteria. Are these the same people that talk about man-made global warming, climate change? No, but they do have this machine that never stops running. Okay, <laughs> perpetual motion machine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad that to know that you know Rube Goldberg. that you and your friends know exactly what it is, as oh, opposed yeah. to these speculators here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it says whatever the case, there's at least one eyewitness account of strange lights being present in the sky at the time the ground opened up in Chile. Cecilia Lagos, a Chilean reporter, was interviewed by CNN and described seeing the sky change colors outside her window as her house shook. Although the CNN clip's not available, there there is an MSNBC available MSNBC video probably on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, of her telling a similar story in a transcript from the actual CNN interview, in which she compares to what she saw uh, to a scene out of the big blockbuster film 2012. Uh, she's quoted here saying, Besides, I saw through my window while I was still in bed. I saw the sky changing colors. It was absolutely surreal. I really thought it was the end of the world. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I hope you understand me because I'm not exaggerating really because I saw it through my window like that. It was the most terrifying thing, seeing the sky changing colors with the terribly, amazingly strong movement of the earth. And I thought, okay, this is Mother Earth. The earth opened up and buildings crumbled into the earth, like the movie 2012. Wow. You know what I find interesting is we have signs and wonders here that are working in concert with what the information Hollywood's putting out to put a association in the minds of people. Hmm. Yeah, I know. You know, Very like the rebellion of Mother Earth. Yeah. and it's like, oh, the movies have told to prepare me for what I'm seeing. Well, I've been reading some very interesting stuff, uh, and I, it's hard for me to get my hands on it because I'm not, you know, I'm not an Orthodox rabbi or... Uh, You're not? No, I'm not an Orthodox rabbi or a scholar. Uh, but from some of the scant information that I've, I've, I've looked at recently, that there's been a lot, uh, the patristic fathers and, and as well as 
rabbis historically have put a lot of faith in astral theology or astral prophecy, the idea that, you know, the signs in the heavens mm -hmm. sort of put forth, like, what's happening. Mm -hmm. And there's been, um, you know, that gives a lot of credence to the story you just read, you know, mm -hmm. these big signs in the sky and right. the stars being... Well, the sixth seal, the sixth seal in Revelation, mm -hmm. has signs in the sky simultaneous yep. with yep. the earthquake on the ground. You're right. Uh huh. I was just, I was going to go there. Sorry. That's Didn't okay. That's well, I have so little to say. I mean, it's like, oh you come, give on. Me. <laughs> come on, come on. Throw me a bone. Once you have something to say over there, I know you got some good stories oh, this yeah, week. Oh yeah, I got one or two really scary ones. Um, here's one. Uh, this is via our our uh, uh, well, a website that I look at called Zero Hedge. Where they're really they're really into doing like you know in depth reporting on uh, financial matters of that should be of much greater concern. Uh, the title is German Gold Foundry apparently discovered a tungsten filled gold bar that was due for melt. And uh, I'll just give you the one paragraph summary here because mm -hmm. I know we got a lot of news. Uh, German TV station ProSieben finds that finds what appears to be some evocative proof of gold counterfeiting in the form of a tungsten gold substitute. Coming to the W.C. Herreras found, uh, uh, Herreras Foundry, which is the world's largest privately owned precious metals refiner and fabricator, located in Hanau, Germany. The foundry has isolated at least one 500-gram tungsten bar due for melting, originating from a so far unnamed bank, which was, which as the found, head of the foundry stated, made the unpleasant discovery that not all that glitters is gold. Hmm. So they've, you know, there's been a lot of people talking for a while about yeah. this this counterfeiting thing, and here we have a 500, uh, a 500 gram bar, which is, it's not the, uh, you know, the standard London good, London good delivery size bar, which is like, uh, like 10 kilograms or something, which is, you know, quite a bit bigger, but still, here we have some interesting proof about gold, huh. and there's also a video on it. It's all in German. So you can go and look, but, you know, they hold the bar up and they break it in half and show the camera and stuff. And, you know, you see Wow. It. Yeah. They could actually break it with their hands, excuse me, break yeah. it with their hands? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Well, I just, uh, I was going to ask you, go on, if anything else you want to share no, there? No, that's it. Uh, this is not directly prophecy related, but there's weird stuff going on, like you say, uh, people fooling people. I was just going to say, do you know why they would use tungsten? Uh, because it's probably the same weight, I would guess, but that's just a guess. Well, it's not the exact same weight. But it's very close. You would need something heavier. If you want to keep the external dimensions, you need something the same weight or heavier uh -huh. with some empty space. I you see. couldn't use anything less dense. And I was just checking on here. I believe tungsten is, is W, if I remember right, the uh, the symbol for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to see it on there. I just thought that was a very enlightening story. Uh, yeah. Well, you tell me, why would they use tungsten? You're the well. It's heavier than gold. Oh. But I imagine they have other ways of detecting lead. Lead would have been, you know, sort of the ancient way to fool people. Yeah, and tungsten might be a little bit snappier. Uh, tungsten, yeah, would be probably a little closer. I was just checking. They they have removed most of the periodic table for me that I'm looking for here, <laughs> that that has it on there. But the reason I said enlightening is because that was a pun because tungsten is used in the the elements in light bulbs. Oh. Tungsten is used for that, so. I see. Anyway. Someone, You're always talking so far over my head. Someone has stolen uh, parts of the periodic table. I can find silver on here. I cannot Not find gold <laughs> on this tiny it's a periodic print. table bailout. <laughs> yeah. Where's AU? Somebody stole AU and W and PB on there. 
Times uh, are tough, man. Yeah, there I see FE. I don't see those on there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a homework assignment for you. Mm-hmm. Go look it at him. I just love those chemistry stories. No, sorry. You want me to crack something? Hit, hit me with here? something good. Okay, this is a lighthearted one. Great. Uh, a pamphlet says that Vatican is helping Hezbollah. Hmm. The Vatican teaching Hezbollah how to kill Jews, said pamphlet for IDF troops. That's uh, Israeli Defense Forces. Great. Okay, this is from Haaretz, uh, H-A-A-R-E-T-Z, Haaretz Online. Hmm. Haaretz is one of the major newspapers in Israel. And I recommend people take a look at Haaretz online periodically time, time, yeah. because they have a different view of things than the other newspapers in Israel, and I find it very interesting. Uh, this recent uh, report just came out. It says, The Pope and Cardinals of the Vatican help organize tours of Auschwitz for Hezbollah members to teach them how to wipe out Jews, according to a booklet being distributed in Israel, Defense Force Soldiers. I'd sure like to see the uh, documentation on that. So they're giving it this booklet to the soldiers about it. Yeah. It says, officials encouraging the booklet's distribution include senior officers, such as Lieutenant Colonel Tamir Shalom, commander of the Nashon Battalion of the Kafir Brigade. The booklet was published by the Union of Orthodox Jewish Congregations of America. An American group published this. Mm. In cooperation with the chief rabbi of Safed, Rabbi Shemuel Elahu, and has been distributed for the last few months. The booklet, titled On Either Side of the Border, purports to be the testimony of a Hezbollah officer who spied for Israel. Uh, the book is distributed regularly, and everyone reads it and believes it, says one soldier. It's filled with made-up details, but it's presented as a true story. The whole company of soldiers, adults, told me, read this and you'll understand who the Arabs are. The copy obtained by Haaretz included a, a Pishak, a greeting from, in, from Shalom, in the name of the Nashon Brigade. The story is narrated by a man named Avi, who says he changed his name from Ibrahim after he left Hezbollah and converted to Judaism. Avi says he was once close to Hezbollah leader, Sheikh Nassan Nasrallah, and describes Hezbollah's purported close relationships with the Vatican and European leaders. The IDS spokesman's office said in a statement, The book was received as a donation and distributed in good faith to the soldiers. After we alerted to the sensitivity of its content, distribution was immediately halted. According to the book, Nasrallah was invited to join a delegation to tour France, Poland, and Italy, including the Vatican. Nasrallah could not refuse an invitation from the Vatican, Avi explained. We knew the Pope identified with Hezbollah's struggle. The Pope described the alleged visit of Hezbollah officials to Auschwitz, led by the Vatican. Since we came to the camps, we saw the trains, the platforms, the piles of eyeglasses and clothes. We came to learn. Our escort spoke as he was taught. We explained to him, every real Arab deep inside is a kind of fan of the Nazis. This booklet also describes how European politicians and journalists ostensibly work against Israel. Our escort introduced us to important figures who identify with our causes, rich people, people with authority. They allocate big budgets to all sorts of Israeli organizations that erode the standing of the IDF. We have a special budget for encouraging politicians and journalists who serve our purposes. Every opinion piece that conforms to our opinion is rewarded generously. And it includes your uh, Rabbi Shamil Elihu, son of the former Sephardi chief rabbi Mordecai Elihu, is known for his extremist views and was once charged with incitement to racism after calling for the expulsion of all Arab students from Safid College after terror attack in the area. The younger Eliyahu was also behind an online video in which he described the miracle of our matriarch Rachel, whom he claims appeared before Israeli soldiers in Gaza to warn them of booby-trapped buildings during Operation Cast Lead. 
What? Yeah, Rachel appeared. In some places we went in Gaza, there was a woman who warned them. Did they tell you who I am? She said, I am the matriarch Rachel, Eliyahu says in the video. He claims his father confirmed the rest of the story and told him that he had prayed to Rachel. I told her, Rachel, there's a war. Go to God, blessed be he. Pray over the soldiers who sacrifice themselves for the people of Israel so that they will strike and not be struck. David Menahemov, an aide to Eliyahu, claims the book is not fiction. Avi's a real person and everything in the book is absolutely true, it says Menahemov. It's a totally true story. I know the guy personally. He's an Arab and even though he converted, still acts like an Arab. We helped him to write and to translate it. We changed a few details to protect him and his family. How's that for an interesting story? Now, strange. what I'm led from that is I don't know if that's that the story is true or not, true or if not. the book talking about is true. I mean, it's in Haaretz, so I mean, it's at least it is a story that is being discussed sure. in the country. The question mm-hmm. is, but the thing is, lots of people look bad no matter what size that is. Either people are lying about the book, or the Vatican looks bad, mm-hmm. or the people in Israel who are siding against themselves look bad, mm-hmm. or Arabs, or somebody. Yeah, well, and I think There's no matter how you slice it, the IDF looks bad because they're they're putting it out there with yeah. the idea to try and unmake, you know, make people not real. You know, and then we got people praying to Rachel. Yeah, like we got people who are jealous that Catholics are praying to Mary, so they said, "Well, we'll just pray to Rachel." That one threw me for a loop. I gotta say, I, I almost fell out of my little. Coop It'd be like us, share. you know, praying to Vestal Goodman or something. I don't know who's Vestal Goodman. Vestal. You Goodman. ever hear of the Happy Goodman family? No. Uh, you ought to get around gospel music. Sorry, man. You should, if you were in the music field, you'd understand. I know. Um, you got a story? Sure. Uh, something very strange is happening with treasuries. Bonds, that is. Yeah, treasury bonds. Um, okay. So there's, before I begin, I just want to make, there's a quick little explanation here. Uh, the treasury first, when these, when these, when these things go to auction, yeah. the way that it works is there's like several tiers of buyers, right? The Treasury sells the debt to those who don't care what it yields at the lowest, right? Okay. Um, and then uh, and then issues the remaining debt to those who do care uh, what it yields. Uh, ooh, boy. Come on, Byro, pick, pick a spot. Uh, and then at higher yields. And then finally... People don't know what you're talking about. One of our student members, you, you, you broke the, the plane of reality sorry. there for our listeners. Oh. Power was in studio and was... Yeah. Visiting us. No, so it was written in the story. Proceed, I think, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then there. Anyway, so the point is, is that you know they issue this debt, and that there are tiers of buyers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, here's this story about what's this really, really weird thing going on. Okay, so yesterday's auction. Yesterday, the Treasury issued 37 billion dollars worth of four-week notes, uh, which means there's that's debt that comes due in four weeks. The lowest yield accepted was 0.0, which means, you know, no yield. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the highest yield that was accepted was uh, 0.05%, 0.55%, which is, you know, virtually nothing. Uh, This means that the Treasury took up every single set of competitive bids coming from indirect buyers. Now, remember, indirect buyers are usually assumed to be foreign governments. Uh, If this was the case yesterday, then the foreign government barely bought much of anything then foreign governments barely bought much of anything in yesterday's auction, 19% total. Uh, moreover, it also implies that primary dealers had to gorge on the auction to make up for the fact that few, if any, foreign governments are interested in buying our debt anymore. Uh, 
Or the other, the other side of this is one could potentially argue that this indirect buying came from the Fed covertly, buying under the guise of an indirect buyer, uh, which is obviously rather odd. And well, what does that mean for well, all of our non-financial people out there? It means head for the hills. Uh, Why? It means because the the Fed is conceivably buying their own auction. Because if if people weren't if weren't enough bids on it, mm-hmm. then everything comes crashing down. Nobody's buying the yeah. debt. Yeah, nineteen percent of the debt was bought by foreign governments, and the rest was out there flying in the breeze, flapping in the breeze. So the, it looks like the Treasury came in and bought bought covertly. Now the uh, the other interesting thing about that is that every single set of cent of the competitive bidding coming from indirect buyers was filled. It's almost as if the indirect buyers knew precisely what yield to accept or uh, were simply trying to take up the slack in what they in what was already a very weak auction. If I can translate what this means is the fact that they hit the number right on the head of the exact amount that was available to loan shows it was probably somebody on the inside running the auction. Yeah. That made the purchase. In other yes. words, they didn't they, they didn't cover their tracks very well. They made it look too phony. Yeah, it's like it's not even it's it's bald is that, is that right? I that mean, is that exactly right. Thank you for translating. Wow. Get all kind of goofball-y like. Well, you're just an economic whiz kid, and a lot of our listeners, well, me included, mm-hmm. you know, are on second so. grade in that, so <laughs> to translate. Yeah. Um, that could be a huge deal. That means, well, first of all, if they're buying their own debt, they're not raising the money they need to raise just mm-hmm. to service the debt. Yeah. It, all it did is try to stop panic. Yes. By doing that. So they still got to get the money somehow. Mm-hmm. So all that does is buy them a little bit of time to try to run another auction and try to raise the debt somehow and get people yeah. to change their mind. Well, and there's another there's another facet for this story. The other thing is that uh, some, some investor somewhere, let's assume that it wasn't the Fed for a second, mm-hmm. some investor somewhere just parked about $30 billion in treasuries for a month with no, with mm-hmm. no yield. Yeah. Um, so someone is willing. So put another way, someone is willing to not make money just for the sh- just for the sake of ensuring, mm-hmm. uh, you know, return of capital, right. like you know, rather than any return on capital. Right. The, the consensus was is everybody else is going to lose their shirt in the next month. Yeah. So at least at least I'll get the same money that I had a month ago. Right. Um. So, and then there's the story goes on, but I think that's the central. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's totally well, weird. Can, can I bring up something that I noticed today that's where I really saw this? Hit it. Basically, because we don't have time really for many more stories here. Okay. Um, you were telling me in your stories before we came in, you've got many more I see in your stack. Man, I've There's got a, a recurring huge stack theme that's weird going on. Of course, you know, I, sometimes I think, boy, every week we've known for years people are saying, oh, the ends are around the corner, it's around the corner. Mm-hmm. And you get jaded and you think, you know, it's just another week like all the others. They say everything's going to happen. And then it was just like this whole uh, bird yeah. flu thing was a, you know, big bust and hoax. Mm-hmm. But you said that more of the stuff you've gotten this last week or two has stepped it up a major amount, right? Sure. Yeah, I have as another story in here that the Manchester, the the big library in London, yeah. took all of their rare books and artifacts and moved them to the Cheshire salt mine. And when asked about it, their their thing was like, oh, well, we're just going to remodel sometime in the next year. Well, Why'd they have to go to the salt mine? Right. You know? Right. You took them, you took them, you know, a couple hours drive away to the salt mine? Right. What? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And then uh, another one is, is Greece is betting against, or I'm sorry, the, the it appears that all of the banks that 
helped Greece sort of mm-hmm. hide their debt are now betting against Greece that it's going to default. A lot of Americans don't even know there's a problem with Greece. I know. Average person on the street, very, very few would ever know that there's a crisis in Europe right now. At, well, at a, and it's funny because there was, uh, I saw a news story in England that 50,000 people rioted in Greece. Now, yeah. they didn't say protest. They said right, rioted. You right. know, they were turning cars over. Right. They, they broke a bunch of windows and, mm-hmm. you know, the, like a, you know, a good old-fashioned European riot. Mm-hmm. 50,000 people. Well, there's only 13 million people in Greece. Yeah. So that means it's like... A big hunk of the yeah, population. Yeah, like vaguely, yeah. you know, I don't know, 10% or something. Well, I saw something today that was... The, the basis of it was, was fictional, which I'm, I have less and less time for fiction. Mm-hmm. But it was, of all things, it was on the History Channel. And it was all in the background while I was trying to do something useful, mm-hmm. marginally useful. And um, if you notice the History Channel, those of you who watch it, I can't know, I don't know about the Discovery Channel, but they have gotten from dark to extremely dark. Yeah. In the last few months, almost everything is about the end of the world. Almost mm-hmm. everything. In fact, one of their big shows they play a lot is this Life After People or The World After mm-hmm. People. But they've been running something right now that's a very apologist thing for global warming called two. 2100 about what the world will be like and it's all about the world with global warming mm-hmm. but I saw something today and I didn't catch the name of it but I suggest our Futurians check it out um, they they looked at what how society would fall apart with something simple like a pandemic and it follows a family, a husband and a wife and their kid mm-hmm. uh, and it goes step by step but when they're hearing things going on and do they stay at home, the city comes apart, they're trying to find food and then they have experts that will comment during this about how this is how society breaks down. Here's how the, the survivors rise to the top. They have to get out of the city. They have to find living space. And they go from like a month ahead, six months ahead, a year ahead, mm-hmm. you know, walking out in the desert, dying of thirst. And it seemed very, very real, unlike most of the things I see on the History Channel. Mm-hmm. It seemed very legitimate and simple things in life, like a cup of coffee or tea or a, a simple meal, a cup of soup. Mm-hmm. How simple, how quickly we forget how wonderful a pleasure they are. Yeah. When we're when we're in a state where the, these people was just just you know trying to drain a radiator and trying to purify the water out to mm-hmm. live one more day on the road, you know. And this is what these people were doing. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I don't rec- know why this is such a popular thing on TV, but you know they wouldn't do it unless people were watching. Yeah. Well, uh, to that end, you know, one of the books I, I mentioned to you. One of the books that I just recently purchased and have been reading is uh, a field guide to uh, 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 a modern field guide to woodland survival, mm-hmm. and uh, it's all about how to eat, identifying eat right. edible foods by Linda Runyon. Right. Uh, it's it's an, it has changed the way that I look at at lawn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lawn and and fields and you know. In other words, God has provided a bounty there that we've taken for granted. Yeah. For instance, cattails. You know the yeah, cattails. Yeah. You can eat those. And huh. they're they are highly nutritious, huh. and uh, you can grind them into flour and stuff. It's yeah. amazing. Well, I'll have to explain to you about Yule Gibbons. Some of our older people would know him. But he's a famous guy, but I'll tell you off air because we need to bring in Merv, who can tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. 
Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, it's the end of another week. Let's get out. Okay. Uh, we're going to have another great guest next week. We appreciate uh, you being here for all the many weeks as we soon get ready to start our sixth year on the air. But until next week, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.